Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I think it's Thursday the 11th of October. I'm confused just because everybody is... is, I'm suspicious. Everybody here at BBC Three Counties is in a a good mood. That's odd, isn't it? What's happening? This early on on a Thursday morning, everyone's in a good mood. It'll all go pear-shaped by the end of the show. Plenty coming up. And again, as always, lots that I'd like to get your opinion on. I'll give out the contact details in a little bit. But we'll be talking about patients at Stoke Mandeville may have been warned to pretend to be asleep when Jimmy Savile visited. Isn't it time he was stripped of his knighthood? Come on. Insurance? It's just one big gamble. What type of insurance do you not have? And an X Factor contestant gets a temporary tattoo. If you've got tats, you are sending out a terrible message about yourself and you should be ashamed. If you want to get in touch, you can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or you can call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, it's the story that just won't go away. Every time we think it's gone, it's on the front pages again with more revelations. And today, the government has welcomed the decision that the BBC is to bring in an outside person to chair its independent inquiry into complaints that Jimmy Savile sexually abused young girls on BBC property. It comes as more people told police they were abused by the late presenter. Well, BBC Three Counties reporter Dashiani Navanayagam has more on this. Good morning, Dashi. Hi, What's Ian. the latest? Yes, the government has backed plans for an outside figure to lead an internal inquiry at the BBC into the Jimmy Savile scandal. That person hasn't been announced yet, but Lord Patton, who's the chairman of the BBC Trust, has said that whoever carries out the investigation must have the trust of the entire nation and that the BBC's reports into the claims will be published in full. He announced yesterday he'd order the inquiry into the sex abuse claims as soon as the police investigation has finished. The first thing we did, and I hope others would have behaved the same in the circumstances, was to call in the police. As soon as we get the green light from the police who wanted us to stand back for a bit, uh, as soon as we get the green light from the police, we'll launch our own inquiry um, and it will be independent and it will be thorough. That was the chairman of the BBC Trust, Lord Patton. So he's called the allegations against Jimmy Savile a cesspit. It's understood he's also asked the BBC Director General George Entwistle to check that the child protection policies and guidelines on sexual harassment and bullying within the organisation are up to date and fit for purpose. What I find amazing about this, Dashi, is that the number of allegations are just spiralling, aren't they? Yeah, they are. It's just growing and growing. Here in Buckinghamshire, there's been an increasing number of allegations that the former TV presenter groped young patients at Stoke Mandeville Hospital, um, where he worked as a volunteer fundraiser. It's understood that nurses there dreaded his visits because of his behaviour. A former patient at Stoke Mandeville Hospital told the BBC that a nurse told her to stay in bed and pretend she was asleep when Sir Jimmy came around and that she also overheard nurses talking in ways which suggested they were also targeted by him. Well, if that's true, that's incredible. What has Bucks Healthcare NHS Trust said? Well, they've released a statement saying they are shocked to hear the allegations and they never received any complaints about Savile during his time working with them. But they have said that the police have contacted them and they will be cooperating fully with them. 
with their inquiries. And since yesterday, two more women have also come forward to say they were also sexually assaulted by Jimmy Savile in the 1960s in Manchester. Well, this surely increases pressure that he should be stripped of his knighthood. Well, that's been the debate over the last few days. The Prime Minister, David Cameron, has said that could be an option. He's spoken of a forfeiture committee, which looks at honours and the removal of honours. However, it's not clear if this will be possible. Whilst people have lost their honours before, whilst they've still been alive, the Cabinet Office have said there are no legal arrangements in place at the moment to remove honours posthumously. But the Sun newspaper have started a campaign to have the presenter's knighthood removed, which he received from the Queen in 1996. And yesterday on the programme you mm. spoke to Sylvia Nichols. Yes. She was a trustee of the Jimmy Savile Stoke Mandeville Hospital Charitable Trust and she said that they would consider dropping his name from the trust at a trustees meeting on the 22nd of October. And already in Leeds there's a conference centre which was named after Savile which has announced it will be rebranded um, along with a footpath sign in Scarborough which has been taken down by the Borough Council. So certainly there's a growing scale of people choosing not to commemorate him in this way. Dashi, thank you very much for that. Well, you, you've, you've heard it, and it, it's, there can't be anybody listening to this now who is in any doubt that these things took place. When it was a couple of stories coming out, people were saying, well, this is scandalous, how much have these women been paid? I don't believe it. There are two, I think there are two questions here we need to ask. The first one is, are you listening to this and you're still, you're still adamant that Jimmy Savile has done nothing wrong? 08459 455 555. Is there anybody listening to this now who has any doubt that Jimmy Savile did any of these, th- these things that are being alleged? There are so many people coming forward. And the second question is, and it would require a slight change in the law, should Jimmy Savile be stripped of his title, sir, his knighthood? If you notice, I'm not calling him Sir Jimmy Savile. Lots of BBC news outlets are not calling him Sir Jimmy Savile. Most of the papers have dropped the sir. Should he have his knighthood taken away? 81333, start your text 3CR, or give us a call 08459 455 555. Later on in the show, we're going to be talking about tattoos. I hate tattoos with a passion. And I ha- no, I'll say this. I, I intensely dislike people who have tattoos. This kind of popped up because there was a story in one of the papers yesterday that some idiot on X Factor has got a fake tattoo of Gary Barlow done on his back. All right, yeah, very good, very nice. But I was walking through Luton yesterday and I saw the most hideous tattoo I've ever seen. Okay, It was a young mum, she's about 20, she had on low-cut, wet-look leggings, very, very low-cut, and she had what I believe is known as a tramp stamp. You know, the, the kind of tattoo strip just above her bottom wasn't that much above her bottom, to be honest. And it was a rose with lots of thorns on it. What? And she was pushing a buggy with a little baby in. And I really thought, oh, dear. What, what, what kind of message is that sending out? Awful. Have you got a tattoo? Why? I, why would you even do that to yourself? I'm a, I, I'm a big fan of the rock group Kiss. I, don't ask me why, but I do enjoy them, and I go to their concerts quite a bit. And the number of times I've had drunk men come up to me saying, Ian, you've got to see my Kiss tats. And they've got every member of Kiss tattooed on their back. And when I say every member, I don't mean the four main members. I mean every member there has ever been in any configuration of the group. They have 12 men with makeup tattooed onto their backs. 
If you've got attack, can you defend yourself? Or are you a normal, right-thinking person like me, and you agree with what I'm saying? 08459 555. Ooh, I'm angry now. 6.15, it's Thursday, the 11th of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A former patient has claimed Sir Jimmy Savile targeted children at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. Lawyers for the cyclist Lance Armstrong say a report by the US Anti-Doping Agency, which accuses him of cheating his way to the top, is a hatchet job. And in sport, England 2020 captain Stuart Broad says Kevin Peterson will be welcomed back into the dressing room when he's eventually reintegrated into the side. And coming up, apparently we're not insuring the right things. Insurance is a bit of a gamble, isn't it, really? What insurance don't you have? Maybe it's pet insurance, contents insurance, building insurance. Everyone's got buildings insurance, haven't they? Hear more after the weather with Jim Bacon. BBC Three Counties Radio. Don't forget, you can get in touch any time during the show. Uh, you can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or... Give me a call, 08459 455 555. Is there anybody listening to this who still thinks Jimmy Savile is innocent? Should he be stripped of his knighthood? And if you've got tattoos, oh my God, what on earth are you thinking? The saxophone solo, one of the greatest musical crimes ever committed. The 1980s are full of... I like It's a great song, that. Eric Carmen, Hungry Eyes, but the saxophone solo... I would suggest that song was recorded in the 1980s. Ah, there's a saxophone solo that dates it absolutely perfectly. Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, 08459 455 555 uh, is the phone number. You can also uh, tweet us. (laughs) Yeah, I know. At BBC 3CR. Waggy Fantastic. I always get slightly dubious of saying these names, but those are the rules. Waggy Fantastic on Twitter says, I don't understand. If nurses saw him... Why didn't they report it? That's not hearsay, that's fact. And yes, he should be stripped of his knighthood. This is about Jimmy Savile, of course. I don't know if the nurses actually saw him. The story is that someone has has, has told the BBC that the patients at Stoke Mandeville were told to pretend to be asleep when Jimmy Savile wandered around. Now, I don't know if the nurses actually saw this happen or if they were just suspicious. You know, there were, there were suspicions. I've heard stories, but everyone just thought, oh, it's a bit weird. You know, is, is Jimmy Savile, he's a little bit weird. Although when he died, I did, I did say to a friend, some stories are going to come out of this, aren't there? 08459 455 555. Does anyone still believe he's innocent? Now, have a think, dear listener. Just have a think about this. What insurance do you not have? And not the ones you've got, the ones you don't have. Maybe you don't have mobile phone insurance, pet insurance... Contents insurance? Buildings? Car? Well, the Association of British Insurers says that one in four households do not have any contents cover. With many of us making decisions about how we spend our money, some of us are also choosing to underinsure the value of our belongings. John Guy is an insurance expert and writer and joins us now. Good morning, John. Morning, Ian. John, lots of us are struggling to make ends meet. Insurance, it's a gamble, isn't it, insurance, really? It's, it's a gamble on that you might need to call on it. So I'm guessing lots of people are not insuring things. Is that right? Well, yes. I mean, obviously, all the stat, all the statistics back sort of um, uh, what the ABI are saying, which is, of course, is that, you know, as you say, t- you know, economic times are hard and everybody's looking at what they spend and where. And, and of course, it's 
it's a promise to pay. So therefore, I think for a lot of people, it's, well, actually, what am I actually physically getting for the money? Well, you're not until the worst happens, which, of course, is when you need the claim, and then that's when, hopefully, your insurance company will step up to the plate. Now, things like, I haven't got mobile phone insurance, because I kind of think, listen, if I break it, I'll, I'll take a hit on it. It, it. It's not worth paying out the 50, 75 quid, whatever it is. I also don't have life insurance. I, I, am I being stupid? Well, <laughs> um, well, I mean, I mean, the thing about it is, what I would say about um, um, the, the mobile phone insurance is, again, this comes back down to your contents cover, because what we're seeing with the insurance market at the moment is they appreciate the pain that, that the, the, the public are going through in terms of their economy. So, of course, they're looking at how they can make it more attractive. So there are certain content insurers now which turn around and say, well, actually, if, you know, as part of the contents, we'll include your laptop and your mobile phone right. um, when they're away. I mean, in terms of life insurance... Um, um, you know, um, that, that's, a, that's a very different matter. I mean, of course, it, it really depends on, on, you know, sort of your circumstance. I mean, if you're married with a young family, then obviously it, it's, it's always nice to be in a situation where you know that it, should anything happen to you, that they're, they're going to be, um, they're going to be secure um, going forward. The thing about, I've got contents insurance. We're going to hear later on from Diane, who got burgled and had no contents insurance. I've got contents insurance for that very case. But, for example, about six months ago, I broke my laptop. Right, at home. I could have claimed on the insurance, but I knew that my premium would probably go up about the same price as a new laptop, so I didn't bother claiming on it. Is that, is that quite common, do you think, Jim? Well, oh, John, sorry. Well, Ian, I think the, the, the issue there again, and it comes back to sort of really, uh, uh, once again, it comes back to actually what, what your circumstances are. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, what you can do, if you, you can cut down the cost of your contents insurance if you are prepared to pay the first 250 or 300 pounds. Yeah. So it really depends on what you want. I mean, as you quite rightly say, I mean, you know, most people, if they actually had a look in their house, uh, have probably got something between about 25 and 35,000 pounds worth of content, mm. which is a lot of money. Well, of course, if you look at it and think, well, actually, if it is my laptop, I can, you know, I mean, at a push, I can replace it for £250. Therefore, I'm quite happy to pay the first £250 of any claim. So if I lose anything, as you quite rightly say about your mobile phone, you go to there. However, that will reduce the amount of the, the cost the insurers will, will, will charge for mm. the rest of the policy, which means you're actually covering that big, horrible event where um, hopefully, you, you know, you're not involved in a fire where all of your contents go and you're suddenly left with a you know a bill that runs into tens of thousands of pounds so again that's one of those things where if you actually have a look you know the first thing you want to do is say well actually how much can i afford Mm. and then let's see how we can cut down on the cost of um uh, covering the big event the phrase i heard yesterday john was the insurance gap where people's content cover you you said most people got like 30 35 pounds worth of stuff in their house i think people would be surprised at that but once you start adding up well we've got the sofa we've got the beds we've got the tv it is about that is is there a big gap between what people have got covered and insured and, and what their actual contents are worth. Well, well, there is. And, of course, the other thing about it is it's not just the impact, as you quite rightly say, about those people who are looking for insurance. Most people now, I mean, it's, uh, again, they get a quote, they get a renewal quote from their insurer and they'll say, yep, fine, that's OK, that looks OK, and just, you know, easier just to let it roll on. Well, of course, the thing about it is that's fine, but you may have taken that out 10 years ago mm. and the value, of, uh, the value of what you've got in your house has, has grown exponentially. And also, I mean, the other problem, of course, is there are people who have
have family heirlooms in terms of jewellery or, or items of, of, of art. We're not talking about collectors, but people may be picking these up, and they can be worth a lot of money. Yeah. And, and also, one pe- what people have to remember is most insurance companies will turn around and say, right, you have to name some... If you've got something over, say, £1,500, you need to name it on the policy. Mm. We need to know that you've got these high-value um, items in the home. You're right. I was. I was. We uh, when we got last got uh, content insurance. I had to uh, name kind of like my wife's engagement ring because it's over fifteen hundred quid without giving away too much information. Uh, and and you're right. The, the, the things like that have to be listed. If they're not listed, I'm guessing the insurance company will put up a bit of a fight about paying out. Well, I, I, I think, to be quite honest, it goes back to the, 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 the whole um, basis, which is the you know, sort of utmost good faith. So mm. they're hoping that basically you know, you know, they're asking you in good faith, what have you actually, you know, what, what high value, uh, you know, what high value um, contents have you got in the house? So they can then judge the risk. So you may well find, yes, if, if you suddenly turn around and say, well, actually, um, oh, I didn't mention the £2,500 um, Rolex watch that I had yes. that's been stolen, they may well turn around and say, well, actually, that's, that's something you really should have mentioned. You should have mentioned that. John Guy, thank you very much. Insurance expert and writer. Later on, we'll be speaking to Diane and hearing her story about when she got burgled and had no insurance. What insurance have you not got? Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning! Plenty coming up in the next half an hour, including I'll be finding out why one Luton woman has decided not to take out content insurance despite being burgled. That seems crazy, doesn't it? What insurance have you not got? For a long, long time, excuse me, I didn't have pets insurance. And I've got a cat, didn't have pet insurance. And after a couple of years, I kind of said, oh, maybe we should get some pet insurance. It was about 140 quid a year because she was getting on a bit. And man, was I pleased we did because literally two months later, she got really ill. She just stopped eating. Stopped eating and the vets could not find out what was wrong with her. She had to stay in hospital overnight, go on drip, stuff like this. The bill came to over three and a half thousand pounds. And if I hadn't taken out that insurance, I would have had to pay that. And I was, you know, fortunate enough, I was in a position where I, I, I could pay it. And I would have paid it. Of course, I would have paid anything to save my little cat. So what insurance have you not got? 08459 455 555. And horse owners in beds and hearts are planning a protest. Reporter Justin Dealey is with them. We'll find out what they're planning to do and why. If you want to give us a call, 08459 455 555. Maybe speak to you after Diana Ross. I'm, I'm dead jealous about this. Why hasn't Nick Coffer got this person as a guest and not me, for goodness sakes? Genuinely jealous. Later today on BBC Three Counties Radio, Nick Coffer will be speaking to the creator of the best-selling children's book, The Gruffalo, Julia Donaldson. Now, not only she wrote The Gruffalo, she wrote loads of books, including uh, The Snail and the Whale, which is my little boy's favourite. I was reading it last night. And his book is huge and massive. He was quoting bits of it to me last night. We love the snail and the whale. Uh, well, anyway, Julia Donaldson uh, told Nick that the ideas behind the books are sometimes autobiographical. In Tiddler, there is a, a diver that's supposed to be me, and I have been snorkelling, and I'm sure that was part of the inspiration for writing a book about, you know, tropical fish. Um, yeah, and in Tabby McTart, there is a busker, and I did used to go busking. One of my books, Princess Mirabelle, Mirror Bell, as in, you know, the looking glass. That's a bit the opposite of Alice through the looking glass. A girl comes out of the mirror. And one of my children did have an imaginary friend who was 
his reflection in the mirror and came out of the mirror, according to my son, anyway. So, yes, you, you know, you do get bits of yourself and your children in there, but, of course, you change them when you write the book. Julia Donaldson will be on Nick Coffer's show later on from 12. Cracking listen. I do like... One of the joys of being a dad, right, is I get to get in bed with my little boy every night and read stories. Although he went bonkers last night and he picked every book he's got, like 30 books. I want them all, Daddy. You're having three. I want them all, Daddy! You're having three. So it's a joy reading those books to him. But one thing I will not stand, I will not stand adults who read the Harry Potter books. Okay? I will not stand for that. They are children's books. Oh, yeah, but there are versions of them that have adult covers. Yeah, that's to trick idiots like you into thinking they're books for grown-ups. They're not. They're for kids. It annoys me when you see adults on the train reading Harry Potter. Oh, but they're so mystical. It works on so many levels. No, it doesn't. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I've just been told that my producers read them. I thought so. Uh, You've seen the sort. They work on so many levels. They don't. They're kids' books. Go and read an adult's book. Go and read a Dennis Wheatley if you want to read about real magic. Go and read some Murakami. Go and read read some Vonnegut. Go and read an adult book. Don't read kids' books for pleasure. Read kids' books to kids. Do not read them for pleasure. Make me sick. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. I'm in kind of one of those moods this morning. Now, because of financial pressures at home, you may have decided not to take out various insurances. The Association of British Insurers says that one in four households do not have any contents insurance. Ophelia Powell-Brown lives uh, in Luton, and despite being burgled, she's still got no contents insurance. Ophelia, is this true? Yeah, it's true. I'm going to sort it on Saturday. <laughs> so let's get this straight, right? You were burgled in 2006. Yeah. What, t- tell us the story there. What happened? Um... We hadn't been locking our front door, and it got jammed open, and um, they stole the computer, they stole uh, quite a number of valuable things, which I couldn't, it took me ages to replace those, but the iPod, and then when the police were listing everything, they said, anyway, you can claim some insurance, and I said, I didn't have any, kind of, kind of winced, and then after that, I realised, okay, I'm going to always get insurance. Yeah. I've had insurance until this year, when I weren't happy with how much I was being charged. Then I got another quote for one, and I just have not made the time. Okay, hang on a second. So, without, I don't want to know any company names, but how much uh, contents insurance were you being charged? What was the price? Building and contents came to a little under £600. Hang on, that's building and contents? Yeah. That sounds pretty good. Oh, I thought I could get, I was told I could get it cheaper. Well, you probably can get, oh, always shop around, always shop around. And then you got a new quote. How much was the new quote? Oh, the new quote told me that I could pay as little as 400 and something pounds. Fantastic. I have to go online for that. Okay. But so, I hadn't um, done it yet. So, but, oh, Ophelia. I know. Ophelia. I, I tell you the truth. And it's not about the money this time, you know, because the yeah. last time it was more about the money. When you've got so many things coming in and out, you think maybe you can get away with it this year. And I did say to my husband, maybe forget it one year, forget it the next year. And life isn't that predictable. But I said, yeah. It's not about the money this time, it's about time, and I, I am going to do it now. It's about time. It takes you five minutes to sort it out, Ophelia. Five minutes for that peace of mind, knowing that if someone broke in again yeah. and nicked your iPod and nicked your computer and all your knickknacks, that you could replace most of them. Yeah, I will. Because, I mean, I was um, when they took my computer last time, I had two months left to complete a course that I was doing by oh. correspondence. had to start it all over again. Well, I, the, the, all, so I want to avoid that. But whole, it just seems that thing to... 
you know, it just seems to be the last thing at the bottom of the list. Yeah, you're right, and listen, I know exactly what you mean by that. I, I have been brought up by my mother that contents and buildings insurance... Well, also, I have to have buildings insurance, otherwise my mortgage... It becomes invalid. Is it? Yeah, have you got? True. Have you got a mortgage? Uh, uh, yeah. I feel you, and you haven't got buildings insurance. Actually, I, I, I'm um. telling you, if you call me again, I will tell you that I've got insurance started on Saturday. All right, well, I'm going I'm to call you Monday. I'm, t- right, I'm going to get it done. No, you've got to get it done, because I'm worried about you. you no, you're, you're an idiot, Ophelia. No, it is a very serious thing to avoid when you've got a mortgage, because it renders your mortgage invalid. It does. Okay, listen, I, I'm yeah. genuinely going to speak to you on Monday. Yeah. And I, want, I, and I want you to tell me that you've got buildings in your contents. I will tell you. Your premiums kept going up, didn't they? Yes, they did. That was another thing Why? that annoyed me. We'd never made a claim, and the premiums kept them going up, and they were saying what was going on in the area, and I sort of questioned that. Mm. And then when you hear about the insurance... Co- um, car insurance has been investigated. Mm. Uh, you just wonder. You've got car um, insurance, haven't you? Oh, definitely, okay. definitely. Because that's that's definitely and illegal. Life insurance not to. as well. You've got the life insurance. See, I've definitely. not got that. De- haven't you? No, I've not got life you insurance. Got mortgage. Um, I don't think. I don't know. The thing is, can I, can I, I, I put my hands up in the air? I find mortgages so complicated. I could yeah. not tell you what type of mortgage I've got. Or, or how or I, I know how much I'm paying, but I don't know what the percentage. I don't know anything about it. I just know that every month a certain amount of money goes out of my uh, bank account, account yeah. and that's it. And that's all I know. And I've had it explained to me, and I'm possibly going to be moving house again, and I need to look into my mortgage again. And I do not understand it. I think maybe that's part of the problem. They're so complicated. Do you know, right? And it's funny for me if you've got children, yeah. life insurance must be a must. Really, just helping them to make sure that they have some sort of support later on financially, especially. Go, on a slight tangent, Ophelia, have you got a will? Do you know, I keep trying to sort that out. Mm. Which way you keep trying to sort it out? Yeah, do you know, I'll tell you the truth, I put it in my diary today to phone <laughs> the company. I'm telling you this, You're so full of it. Truthfully, especially now that I'm this side of 40, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's become more important, but yeah, psychologically I couldn't go there for I knew I needed to do it, but it's, it, it's that preparing for the end. It is, and it's one of those things, I keep thinking, right, I'm going to sort out my will, because I've got two kids, I've got a wife, and I want to make sure that it goes where it's meant to go, and I've not yeah. sorted out a will. Yeah. It's, it's, it's strange, isn't it? These things that, we, listen, we all know we're going to die, there is quite a high chance we might get burgled, and yet we don't take... I the know. necessary precautions. I know. Ophelia, sort out your insurance. Promise. I will Promise. speak to you on Monday. Lovely. Ta ta. Okay, take care. Have a good day. There we go. Thank you very much. I'm not. It's Ophelia there, who's um, who is going to sort out her insurances this weekend. I haven't got a will. I know that's terrible. I need to sort that out. 6.45, Thursday the 11th October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A former patient has claimed Jimmy Savile targeted children at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. Rebecca Owen also alleges nurses made comments to suggest he made unwanted advances towards them. Police are appealing for witnesses after a 26-year-old was stabbed and punched by a gang of teenagers in Houghton Regis on Tuesday night. In sport, lawyers for Lance Armstrong say the US anti-doping agency is acting like a kangaroo court by accusing the cyclist of cheating his way to the top. Your weather for beds, hearts and bucks. Cloudy and wet for much of the day, feeling mild with a top temperature of 15 degrees Celsius. And coming up... A group of horse owners are planning to protest to prevent thieves from stealing their animals. We'll hear from our reporter, Justin Dealey, who's with the protesters this morning. BBC Three Counties Radio. Got a few texts in. We've been uh, talking about Jimmy Savile. Of course, it's the front page. It's, it, this, this story just won't go away, and there is going to be more and more that comes out of it. Investigations are going to be taking place by the police, the BBC, all kinds of things are happening. I'm asking two things this morning. 
about Jimmy Savile. Firstly, is there anybody listening to this who now still thinks Jimmy Savile is innocent? I think we're going to try and have a chat later on with... Um, do you remember we had a, a, a caller a couple of... Uh, last week, I think it was, who's um, protesting uh, because there is a brick that Jimmy Savile laid in a cafe. Well, the cafe has now become a sex shop, and he was adamant that Jimmy Savile was innocent. I think we're going to try and track him down, see what his thoughts are. Anybody out there think Jimmy's still, still innocent? 08459 455 555. And should he be stripped of his knighthood? Amanda White on Facebook says, Yes, Jimmy Savile should definitely be stripped of his knighthood. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. And tattoos as well. I genuinely think if you have tattoos, you are, that you are some kind of deviant. There, there is something wrong with you. Why would you do that? Oh, it makes me unique. Your body is unique. It's already unique. By having tattoos, you're, you're joining a big army of idiots that have got tattoos. Billy Amptill says, my dad was in the army for 29 years and was covered in tats. He had one done in every country he went to. Bill, everyone in the army did that. Every, my, my dad was in the army, he's got tats, and he totally, totally regrets it now. He's 62, 63, and he wishes he'd never done it. I suspect that most people with tattoos, you wish you didn't do it, didn't you? You regret it as soon as you've got it done. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Radio always worth a listen. Uh, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots that we're talking about this morning, and lots I'd like to get your opinions on. Tattoos, Jimmy Savile, and insurance. I know what a mixed bag. You can email three cr at bbc dot co dot uk. You can text eight one three double three. Starting your text three cr. Or and I'd rather you did this. It's much nicer to talk, isn't it? Oh eight. Yeah, of course it is. Oh eight four five nine. Four double five five double five. A group of horse owners and people living in rural parts of Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire are planning a protest over the increase in crime. Following a spate of thefts of animals and a recent arson attack which killed four horses, they've decided to take direct action. BBC Three Counties reporter Justin Dealey is one of the protesters. Joe Worley at her yard in Sandy. Uh, Justin, how's things going? What's it looking like there? Yes, good morning, Ian. I'm in Sandy, as you mentioned, um, in the middle of nowhere. It's still quite dark, a little bit cold this morning. Joe, Freezing this morning, isn't it? <laughs> Well done. I've got you my jumper on, got my scarf on. But uh, Joe, as you mentioned, one of the protesters is with me right now. Uh, Ian has mentioned some of the crimes, w- which sound absolutely horrendous. Just uh, how strong is the feeling locally about these crimes here? Extremely strong. We've all got to the point now where we've all had enough, and we want things done. We're not going to sit down and just take it anymore. So tell us what's been happening, not just here in Sandy, but right the way across Beds, Hearts and Bucks when it comes to horse crime. We've had break-ins left, right and centre. We've had people's tack all taken, replaced, and then they take it again. Horses get stolen. People have taken horses' rugs off them in the field. Um, And obviously with this weather, it's absolutely freezing. Uh, They'll take wheelbarrows, uh, hay, straw. They've even taken doors off people's stables. I mean, it's just got to the point now where nothing is safe anymore. I mean, the police may have a different opinion on this, but as far as you're concerned, they are not tackling this and when you phone them they're simply not interested I wouldn't say they're not interested but their hands seem to be very tied they seem to be very limited in what they can actually do Um, we did hear a rumour and this is only a rumour from an ex-police person who said basically if you can't get a prosecution don't bother which doesn't really help us a lot but we want things done now we don't want them just to sit and say oh well never mind claim on your insurance because our insurance costs are going through the roof and we're talking here about remote 
farms, aren't we? So we know the police can't be everywhere. Have you got any sympathy for the police at all? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're stretched like everybody else, but um, the decent thing to do is if we call them, at least get back to us, don't just ignore us. That's, that's the main issue of people not getting back to us because they'll just give you a crime number and that's all, that's it. We don't hear anything else. So looking long-term here, at the moment you, you've shown me your Facebook page this morning, lots of comments on there, lots of members on there. Uh, Ian mentioned a protest. Uh, when is this protest likely to happen and, and what's going to be happening at that protest? Um, as I said, it's not necessarily a protest. It's, it's a rally where um, we're all going to get together to show the government that we are here, we're not going to be messed about and we want to help the police as best that anybody else can so we can all work together to stop this because these people are just getting away with it. No, getting prosecuted yeah, you're incredibly passionate about this and uh, ian uh, here this morning with yes. joe she, she has got um uh, a top on which says i love to take that on it which is uh, dubious why would anybody like to take that wow. but um she has got that and we're talking about this x-factor contestant this morning aren't we who's got this tattoo of gary barlow yes. on their body well joe here being a big take no, that fan you're not going to believe this don't say don't don't <laughs> even go there justin she has uh, not no, she hasn't, but okay. uh, Joe, you're thinking about getting a take that tattoo somewhere on your body, aren't you? Yeah, on my ankle, mm, definitely, yeah. but I've just got to pluck up the courage to do it because it's one yeah. of the most painful places. But, but that, <laughs> I might do that, at the, oh, I know that all this is sort of sorted out, but mm. that's one of the things I'd like to do. Justin, what, incredible? Who, who is she going to get tattooed? All of them? The logo? Yeah. The, the, the Marco in? Which one? What's, gonna, what's it going to be? I think it might be the logo. Is it the logo, particular member? Which one are you going to yeah. go for? All of them. Apart mm. <laughs> from Robbie. You can keep Robbie, but the others, yeah. Yeah, great. <laughs> oh, bless you, Joe. You're a character, aren't you? Yep, definitely. There you go. <laughs> Fighting crime and talking take that in one go, but um, quite incredible. Justin, I, I have to say, you are amazing in, in your ability to weave every story <laughs> together into one little piece. It's, it's amazing. See if you can work insurance into the next hit, OK? Yes, I, I shall certainly do that. Good lad. Thank you very much, Justin Dealey, out there with, uh, with, with Joe. Don't get that tattoo done, Joe. That's all I can say. You are going to regret it. It's going to look... Oh, what, it's going to look cheap. And not, get, get a little... Wear a T-shirt. You know, get a hat. Get a pillowcase. Don't get a tattoo done with Take That on there. Thank you, Joe. We're going off on a, a slight tangent there, but a very serious um, story. There was a fire. The, 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 the four horses were killed. That just sounds incredible. And um, we'll be talking about that maybe uh, a, a little bit later on. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. I'm really desperate for someone to call in and try and defend tats. Young mums with those tramp stamps, tattoos above your bum. What earth you think? What message does that send to your kids? It shows you've got no respect for yourself. It's disgusting. You know what boy? You know what boys think when they see a girl who's got a tattoo like that above their backside. You know what they think? I, I can't even say it on the radio. It's so rude what they think. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. And blokes that get tattoos as well. I'm not just picking on women here. Blokes. It, there's no class. I really think it shows a complete lack of intelligence and respect for the human body to get a tattoo done. And it's all, you've got a Celtic tattoo. Oh, it's unique. I've got my name written in Chinese. It's so unique. It's not unique. Everyone does it. Everyone does it. It's cheap. It's trashy. It's nasty. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text, of course, 81333. Start your text 3CR. Uh, or you can give me a call, 08459 455 555. Can we get some voices phoning up to agree with me, please? 
Come on, if you're a decent, right-minded, normal human being, could you give me a call and say, yes, Ian, for goodness sakes? I agree. Tattoos are disgusting. Don't forget as well, we're still asking this morning, is there anybody out there listening to this who, who still believes that Jimmy Savile is innocent? I remember when this story first broke. Um, remember it was last week? I think we started talking about it last Monday. Um, because th- there was this ITV documentary, and we had a lot of people phoning up, furious, furious that this show could be made. I've not heard any of those people for quite a while. If that's you, you still if you're fuming at the treatment Jimmy Savile is getting, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Maybe we'll speak to you after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Thursday, the 11th of October. Just gone 7 o'clock. Lots coming up. Lots coming up, including more allegations about Jimmy Savile at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. Find out more in a few minutes. Also, why one in four people don't have content insurance. What kind of insurance do you not have? Thinking maybe you can save a few quid... And then it's come back to bite you, bite you hard. 08459 455 555. And tattoos. Oh, it, I, I really hate tattoos. My son, when he gets older, could come back home and tell me anything. And I would say, thank you, son. I'd embrace him. I'd hug him and kiss him. Except telling me he had a tattoo. Boy, oh boy, I'd be angry then. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. BBC Three Counties Radio. We're talking about the tats because um, some idiot on X Factor has got a fake Gary Barlow tattoo on his back. I mean, it's a fake and it's a joke. But it's, 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 and I saw an awful tattoo on a young mum yesterday in, in Luton. Oh, God, she just looked, she looked terrible. 08459. Four double five five double five. Now back to the story that um, just will not go away. More abuse allegations have emerged surrounding Jimmy Savile. A former patient at the Stoke Mandeville Hospital in Buckinghamshire has told the BBC that nurses warned them to stay in bed and pretend to be asleep when the TV star came through the wards. Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust, which runs the hospital, have released a statement saying they are shocked at the claims and never received any complaints, but they are cooperating fully with police inquiries. Well, Ian Payne is a former student nurse at the Stoke Mandeville Hospital. He worked there in the 90s. He got in touch with BBC Three Counties Radio to share his story. Good morning, Ian. Oh, hi. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. You met Jimmy Savile a few times, did you? Well, he couldn't help but, but meet Jimmy around, around the hospital. Um, the, the, I'm talking about the old hospital. Right. The one that used to be there. Um, and you couldn't really, because uh, I know it's changed uh, since I left, um, and uh, you just couldn't help but, but the scene, he was there, like a, a member of the family. And, how, you know. oft- how often was he there then? Was he there every week, every weekend? Oh, was... I don't know. I was a student nurse, Ian, but I mean, at the end of the day, you, you, uh, you know, you, he, 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 I know, I know uh, from, well, I don't know, but I, I heard, yeah, the flat at the, at, um, the hospital, um, so I, I think he was a resident, resident there anyway. He had his, I think I met his secretary once there. Um, and you, you, you know, I only met him a few times and he, and he, and he was either in the corridor speaking to somebody. Uh, I, met, I think he came onto the ward once when I was on the spinal unit. Uh, but every, everything I remember about Jimmy Savile there, um, actually he's happy. 
happy mm. days, if you know what I mean. Because I, um, what I did was, uh, just on the eve of Gulf War One, I, 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 I bought myself a load of large Christmas cards, and I went around the hospital, and I got people to sign them to send to the troops over in, in the Gulf. And I was, I was doing it over a week, a period of a week, so I was doing it all hours, you know, after, after work and things like that. And I just happened to be around the spinal injuries unit corridor um, one evening, and, and, and I bumped into Jimmy Savile, literally, just, I wasn't planning to get his signature. And he's surrounded by these, by a load, load of people. Like, that's what I always remember about Jimmy Savile. He always seemed to be surrounded by people. What kind of people, Ian? Well, Well, you know... Uh, people, Ian. I don't have to explain it, you know. Kids? He, 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 what I'm asking people, is, what were they kids? Pe- people, uh, Jimmy Savile, when he was at Stoke Mandeville, seemed to, you know, he, he seemed to be very much liked, mm. and, um... He, he, people, if they saw him, they would go up to him, shake his hand, and talk. Want to talk to him? Well, I can't. I mean, it's 1990, yeah, so I'm, I'm just remembering the fact that that people, it could have been uh, visitors. It could have been. Sycophants, it could have been. Yeah, anybody, it could have been anybody, Ian. But at the end of the day, he, he, always, he never seemed to be yeah. on his own. I remember once seeing him on his own down the corridor, yeah. um, I think. But he signed it, and he wanted to know why I was doing it. Uh, and he seemed to be quite impressed, and I think he liked um, this kind of initi- mm. an initiative shown by a person. But a few, a few of the times I, I, I passed him in the corridor, uh, he'd say hello to me, whether he remembered me as a lad who, who came to, to, to have my card signed, I do not know. Ian, how, how did you feel when you first heard these allegations? I was allegations? shocked to hell, to, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Not only because I was, you know... Uh, every every single day that passed at Stoke Mandeville, you, you were told about it, all the good works he's done, all the good deeds, and and and, and all the ch- you know charitable um, stuff he'd done, um, and what good he was doing for the hospital. But because I'm I'm 50 next year now, and I grew up with DJs like Jimmy Jimmy Savile, who are whiter than white, and he quite heroic really to my generation, um, and Radio One. Uh, when I was a, a kid, it was like, um, you know, it was the, the, the thing to listen to, and, and they were like gods, really. Mm. At what point did you change your mind, Ian? When uh, I listened to Esther Ranson. Yeah. When I watched the ITV um, thing, uh, programme, I read, uh, and I also read something she said yesterday in The Sun, and I, I signed the, um, the little thing in The Sun to, 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 to rid him of his knighthood. Uh, then and I, she was writing. Esther was writing what she said. She she said, you know, so many people come out. They don't know each other. Uh, you know, hundreds now, and um, he just, you know, he, he just, um, you no, know, nobody's colluding with each other. He's, you know, he's, yeah. he's, you know, this is just a mate. He's just absolutely shot me be, beyond belief because he was he was. Um, Go back to 1990 when yeah. I was there. He was um, like a, a mainstay yeah. of of the hospital. I always, I always remember one one person. I was overhearing a conversation once at Stoke Mandeville. Whether it was one of the kitchen staff, I don't know. I, I think the kitchen staff comes to mind, but I don't know whether it was. Yeah. And um, she took, this woman was talking to somebody, and uh, she says, uh, "You know, because you always get you always got the kind of um, feeling that." Uh, um, that even though he was respected and he was doing great works there, he was also sometimes, a, you know, a bit kind of cocksure and yeah. promoting... What did you stuff. hear? 
promoting himself. No, it wasn't an allegation, even, no. but it was. It was just that when he used to wear these, um, you know, he used to wear these. Uh, what, what were they called? The shell suits. Um, yeah, and yeah. all that, all the time. You know, and he, you know, even when I when I met, saw him a few times, and um, she said uh, it was quite funny, really, in a sense. But she says I always remember t- uh, telling this person that. Um, he, 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 wore, he wore a silver one once, and he looked like a chicken ready to go in the oven. Well, there we go. Listen, Ian, we're, we're yeah. running out of time. Very quickly, can I ask, a, a patient has come out from St. Manville and said mm. that, that nurses warned them to stay in bed and pretend to be asleep when Jimmy was walking through the wards. Did you ever hear anything like that? No, I never, I, when I did my stint to the students, I never heard anything like that. OK, Ian Payne, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Ian Payne, former student nurse at Stoke Mandeville. He worked there, as you heard. In the early 90s, um, always found Jimmy Savile to be very pleasant, very charming, but even he has changed his opinion now. 08459 455 555. I can't believe anybody doesn't believe these allegations. George from Wing has uh, emailed him. Uh, texted, sorry. My mum was in Stoke Mandeville Hospital in 1981. My sister was 13 at the time. Jimmy Savile visited, and my mum asked him for his autograph for my sister. He asked how old, how old she was. Did the autograph... Oh, my goodness. Really? So she's 13. He asked how old she was, did the autograph, and underneath wrote, only three years to go. Not a nice thing to write on the 13-year-old's message. George from Wing. George, thank you for that. That's incredible. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Uh, we're talking about tattoos as well. I, I genuinely think if you have tattoos... You are, there is something, there's got to be something deficient with you mentally, hasn't there? Because it's just, why would you do that to your body? There's got to be something missing, hasn't there? You're trying to make up for something. Alan from Milton Keynes has been in touch. Don't like tattoos, but they can be beautiful. If everyone was the same, it would be boring. Well, more and more people are the same, Alan, because they're getting tattoos done. That's why. Um, David Luton, we're talking about insurance. We're covering everything this morning. Ian, get life insurance. You've got a wife and two small kids. How will they cope with a mortgage if you die prematurely? Oh, that's a good point. My old mum died interstate. The wedding ring she always wanted me to give to my daughters was given to another member by my old man. I had no leg to stand on legally because she only told me. It was never written down. A will would have sorted out all her wishes. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to get a will done. <clears throat> that's going to happen. But life insurance? I'm never going to die. Yeah, that's, the, that's the, the, the thinking, isn't it, really? Um, Rob says, Ian, for your 40th birthday, go and choose... You are joking. Go and choose a fantastic tattoo and treat yourself. I'm booking my next sitting very soon. I can't wait. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to do that. And the thing I've heard about tattoos is they are addictive. That once you get one, you can't stop. You'll, you'll be very hard-placed, I think, to find a person who has one tattoo once you get one you can't stop and you want more and more and more oh eight four five nine four double five five double five can you phone up and defend tattoos you're all doing it via text and emails you cowards phone up and defend them you can't very quick look at the front pages before we get the travel news the guardian pubs to face closure in rape crackdown. Well, there's a headline. Campaign will target male behaviour and radical police strategy. Police in the country's biggest force are to use the licensing laws to shut down pubs and clubs where high levels of rape and sexual assault take place. And there's a picture of uh, David Cameron smooching with his wife. Lots of smooching pictures. Uh, the Independent, the anti-social network. Facebook pays only £238,000 in corporation tax. And the Armstrong files. I find this Lance Armstrong story fascinating. He's innocent, he says... But he's not going to fight it. He's innocent, uh, but he's not going to fight it.
The Times, Merkel scuppers BAA, BAE deal. And another picture of David uh, and Samantha having a bit of a snog. The Daily Telegraph, I want privilege for all. And Savile did ward rounds. Oh, this is the story we're talking about. Savile did ward rounds at Stoke Mandeville to find young girls to abuse. Hey, hey, hey. 7.15, Thursday, the 11th of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. There are a growing number of allegations that Jimmy Savile inappropriately touched young patients at Stoke Mandeville Hospital in Buckinghamshire. People living in rural parts of Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire are planning a rally calling on the government to take a current spate of horse-related crimes more seriously. And in sport, Lance Armstrong's former teammate Tyler Hamilton has told the BBC how he saw Armstrong taking drugs multiple times as a US anti-doping agency report exposes what it calls a massive fraud and one of the most sordid chapters in sports history. Coming up, apparently we are not insuring the right things. What insurance don't you have? I haven't got life insurance. Am I making a terrible, terrible mistake? BBC Three Counties Radio. Don't forget, you can give us a call about any of these things we're talking about. 08459 455 555. As I said, I haven't got life insurance. What insurance do you not have? Mobile phone? Pet insurance? Man, I'm glad I got pet insurance. I said earlier, we didn't have it. And then I thought, well, maybe we should get it. You know, it's only something like, I don't know, 16 quid a month or something ridiculous like that. And literally two months later, the cat got really ill, was in vet's hospital for about five weeks. Costs over three and a half thousand pounds. Contents insurance, buildings, have you got that? Well, the Association of British Insurers says that one in four households do not have any contents cover. With many of us making decisions about how we spend our money, some of us are also choosing to underinsure the value of our belonging- belongings. Diane Sampson from Hemel was burgled last year. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. You, know, you were burgled last year, but it wasn't just items that were taken. What was done to your house? Uh, everything was um, slashed and ruined, and then the taps were turned on and left on for about five days before the police realised what had happened. They so turned the taps well. on? Yeah, upstairs. that went through the whole of the, the ceilings. So you were away on holiday, I'm guessing, were you, when this happened? Yes. Yes, we were. And, and what happened? You came home and found this, or the police investigated? How did you discover this? Well, the police had gone round two days before we come home, and fortunately a friend lives n- nearby. She phoned me and informed me what had happened, so I wouldn't walk in the door to it. Oh, that must have been heartbreaking. It is, especially when it's your children's stuff that's damaged as well. Yeah. What, did you, did you have buildings and contents insurance? Did you have all that? I had buildings, I had contents, I thought I was absolutely fine. Okay, well you would be when you, what happened when you went to make the claim? They said I was underinsured. Uh. Uh, the contents insurance I d- didn't realise was only at the value of 16000 right. And they told me that the average house should be insured at 45000 So they'd only give me 33% of the 16000 Hang on a minute. So they'd only give you th- a third of 16000 Yes. So it was, it was about £5,500? Yes. Why? Because I was underinsured, oh. and that's what their rules are. And why were you underinsured, Diane? Was it because sometimes we make these conscious decisions that, oh, if I just insured this much money, it saves me a bit on the premium? Was that your decision, or did you just not calculate it properly? No, I was insured when I got my mortgage, so it was all up to, I don't know, it was fully insured. But they phoned me up the Christmas before this all happened, saying I was such a valued customer oh, yeah. that they could drop the premium for me. Lovely. And I could make a saving. 
So I said, oh, okay, that's lovely. I think it was about £5 a month. But what they didn't tell me was I dropped the premium to the 16000 Oh, so hang on a second. So you had insured for more. They offered you a, a bit of a deal, but didn't make it clear that actually you were th- there was going to be a big insurance gap. You would be th- th- insuring less for less. Didn't tell, didn't tell me at any point. No point whatsoever. How did that make you feel? You must have been well, I, you must have been gutted when you discovered oh, that. You're devastated. It's nothing worse than coming home to something like that and then have to fight insurance for what's rightfully yours. So in the end, Diane, how, how much money did you get out of them? We did get the 16,000 thanks to your show. Oh, well, I, um, I don't think it was my show. I, I suspect that may have been Jonathan Vernon Smith who would have uh, lent, a, yeah. lent a helping hand there. He's always sticking his nose in, isn't he? <laughs> he did, and thankfully he did, because we did get the 16,000 to replace well, some of the stuff. I think there is a lesson there. Uh, and uh, d- uh, how long ago did this take place, Diane? This was last August. Okay. And uh, are you still in the same house? We are. We moved back in six weeks ago. Okay. And and how does it feel being in the same house? Because a lot of people, I've never, I'm, you know, touch wood, I've never been burgled. A lot of people say it is very violating. Yeah, I do feel very violated. I don't feel safe. I've got locks on locks on locks. It just feels someone's taken your security away from you. Locks on locks on locks. That's a lot of locks. <gasps> There's a lot of a locks. A lot of locks. Uh, okay. <laughs> do you think you'll ever feel comfortable in that house again? No. No, it will be time to sell soon. I think we move on. Diane, listen, thank you very much for sharing your story with us. Thank you. There we go. It's Diane Sampson from Hemel. She had insurance, but she was underinsured. There's this big thing, the insurance gap. She was underinsured. Where are you, and this wasn't her, her fault at all, you know, it's the, 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 the insurance company, where are you trying to save a few quid? Is it by not having content insurance? Because you think, oh, it won't happen to me. I won't, I won't get burgled. Not, not in this street. It's a nice street. No one's going to burgle us here. We've got, we got, we got a really good lock on the door. They can't get in. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to uh, give us a call. Uh, very quickly, uh, we have uh, got an email about Harry Potter. I know, I know. I've got a thing about adults that read Harry Potter books. They're for kids, so kids should read them. Ian, who are you to say an adult can't read Harry Potter? If they enjoy it, why not? The final book was also written for young adults, as JK had her books grow up with her original audience. It's like saying children can't read adult books, such as Bronte, Austin, Dickens, because they were written for adults. It's not like saying that in the slightest, Sue. Stop being a literary snob from Sue, who teaches literature. Sue, we should be encouraging our adults to read grown-up books, not books for kids. We should be aiming higher. It's great that kids read Harry Potter. It's great that kids read Bronte, even though Bronte is very, very dull. Uh, but uh, come on, Sue, you're a, you, you teach literature. Harry Potter's not literature, is it? It's, it's, it's just a, a, a romp, and that's it. 08459 455. 555 is the telephone number. Now, it can be easy to sit at your desk for eight hours a day and not get up to have a little walk around. Well, a study by the deep veins thrombosis charity Lifeblood has found that an increasing number of office workers are eating their lunch at desk, not taking any breaks and not moving around. This lack of movement during the day is putting them at an increased risk of DVT. Well, joining us in the studio now is Dr Mike Ingram, who's already said... He came in. You must get it all the time when you ask, how are you? And people go, oh, I've got this, I've got this. Does that happen a lot? They do indeed, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm being polite. I'm being polite to you. You're not interested in my back in the slightest, I'd are you? I'd love to have a play with your back later on, but I don't know if you've got time. I've always got time. <laughs> I've always got time for a handsome doctor to play with my back. Deep vein thrombosis, what is it? OK, let, let's just get this into context. It, it's a relatively rare condition, except right. in, in higher risk groups. But essentially, uh, blood clotting is a marvellous thing, because you've got blood going around your body. Yep. As soon as you spring a leak, your body wants to seal it so you've got a mechanism to clot your blood. Yep. On the 
other hand, you don't want it clotting and blocking all your blood vessels. And so you've got a balance in your body to keep your blood fluid when it should be fluid and to clot it when it starts to leak. Right. And deep vein thrombosis is something goes wrong and a clot forms in the deep veins of the legs, the deep veins of the legs, uh, and that can uh, obviously cause symptoms, but the danger of that clot is it grows and grows and bits break off, go all the way through the body and can go uh, and affect the lungs and actually uh, can be fatal in some people when, it, when the clot breaks off yeah. and jams the lungs with blood clot. Who's most at risk? Uh, well, the, there's a number of risk groups. Yep. The people most at risk are, are people perhaps who don't know it, and they're the people who've got inherited disorders of blood clotting. In other words, uh, unlike, uh, if you like, normal people, they've inherited genes, which means their blood clots more easily. Mm. Put them in a situation where you're more at risk uh, due to your activity, what you're doing, or your state of health, and they tend to get much worse blood clots. Uh, other times, other high-risk activities are actually pregnancy and the period after pregnancy. Why? Because pregnancy alters these chemicals that cause the balance of keeping the blood thin and right. making it pl clot. And uh, when you're pregnant, the, the alteration and balance of those makes you more likely to have blood clots. Uh, other things can do it. Some drugs, uh, HRT can do it, uh, the contraceptive pill, can just increase your risk slightly. So those are the sort of underlying things. And then, of course, there's situations you're in. A lot of people know about DVT, for example, and air travel yeah. and immobility. Uh, DVT after surgery. Anybody, any of your listeners who uh, have had a recent hip or knee replacement will know they had blood thinning injections afterwards and wore those stockings. Mm. Because that's now, because the risk of DVT after surgery, particularly joint replacements, is so high, it's now standard practice to give every patient blood thinning tablets and, and these stockings to stop I've, that. I've seen these stockings. Yeah. What are are they and do they actually work surely they're like wearing that copper band on your wrist that's supposed to make you strong or something uh no it, they do work really? that's, that's why they use it the, the great thing uh, about the, the moving medicine now is a lot of things are, are, are only used when they're proven to be effective right and what they are they're graduated stockings in other words they're tightest at your toes and as they go up the leg they're they're just less and less elasticated mm. the idea being to keep the blood flowing so it's squeezing it it's rather like when you're sort of massaging uh, uh something through a tube they squeeze most of yeah. <laughs> what you. Have, you made a very interesting movement there. What would you ever massage through a tube? Well, I mean, some, sometimes you want to get something through, through a that movement tube and again, push, yeah. pushing a sort of like a, a, a ping pong ball through, through a hose. Think of it that you way. Doctors are crazy. Well, you've got to, got to, look, it's radio. I've got to give you <laughs> a vision to hold on Thank to. you, yes. So the idea is they squeeze the blood up yep. your leg and keep the blood flowing. That's what you want. You don't want the blood uh, getting sluggish mm. and, uh, and being allowed to clot. The, the, you're right. I heard about this from, from aeroplanes. About 10 yeah. years ago, there yeah. was a big campaign isn't it? And these little exercises where you kind of just tense your feet and lift them, do, do they really help? Is that all you need to do? Well, yeah, because what you're doing, when you actually do these things, if you're pressing up and down on a, on a pedal or on a, uh, a, on a little, like, pressing the brake up and down, yeah. it, what you're doing, you're contracting your calf muscles. You, right. You'll feel it if you're doing this at home or if you're bored or lying I'm in bed. I'm doing it now. I'm uh, doing it. They'll help you back. Yeah, I, guess, <laughs> I hope so. I'm and, uh, and what you're doing, you're contracting the calf muscles. Now, the calf muscles act as the pump. They pump the muscles muscular action pumps the blood up from your legs yep. back to your heart. Good question. You're standing up, you're sitting down. How does the blood in your feet get back to your heart? Because it defies gravity. Answer, uh, it's the muscular pump that pumps it up. Uh, and that's why doing that keeps the blood flowing through your legs. Uh, and are you seeing an increase in this, or is this just kind of a bit of scaremongering? Well, 
I think it's, it's very interesting. People say, well, uh, not taking a break doubles your risk of having D- a DVT at work, but buying two lottery tickets doubles your uh, chance of winning the lottery. The question is, it, they're still very, very rare things. Mm. We know that immobility is a factor. Uh, a great story is during the Blitz, when uh, people used to go underground to, to the uh, tube to shelter. Mm. They started off taking deck chairs with them, and there was a massive increase in the number of people getting blood clots uh, in their really? legs and blood clots in their lungs, because if you think of a deck chair it cuts into just Mm. below your knee it cuts into your calf and stops your circulation as soon as they replace those with beds for people to sleep down in the tube all those blood clots and all those things went so your position how you sit your immobility is relevant dr mike listen i know you're 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 a very busy man you're a doctor have you ever been in a theater where someone said is there a doctor in the house uh been on airplanes really oh yeah absolutely Uh, listen (laughs) would you mind can i send you upstairs to have a little look at some of our staff maybe jonathan vernon smith catherine a few other people and just see if there's they're they're kind of doing anything wrong would you be able to have a little look at them as long as they haven't got bad backs i'm happy (laughs) thank you very much dr mike ingram the staff be ready he's coming upstairs to check out how you're sitting Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee. Yes. BBC Three Counties Radio. Plenty coming up in the next half an hour, including we'll be catching up with Dr Mike Ingram, who's wandering around the office looking at the posture of my colleagues. BBC Three Counties Radio. And we find out more about the accusation that cyclist Lance Armstrong was at the heart of the most sophisticated doping programme ever seen in sport. I find this story incredible. This guy was a hero. Hero to my father-in-law, who's obsessed with cycling. I must speak to him and find out what he makes of all this. 08459 455 555. Also talking tattoos uh, and Jimmy Savile. But you will have heard just before uh, the news there, we were talking about DVT with uh, Dr Mike Ingram, and we uh, heard how office workers are at increased risk of deep vein thrombosis if they don't take any breaks away from their seats during the day. Turns out, just by being a little bit more active, just standing up, Having a little wander around, it can reduce the risk. Now, Dr Mike, you are upstairs in the office, I believe. I am indeed, yeah. Where, who, who are you with? What can you see? And I'm, I'm sorry, it's, it's such a mess, but uh, what can we do? We, we work with, with um, you know, pigs there, to be honest. What, 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 who are you with? Well, I'm with, uh, with the team. The I'm, team. I'm with Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Uh, now, Jonathan's told me he's not pregnant, so we know there's no risk there. Excellent. Uh, the trouble with Jonathan is he's sitting there with his legs crossed, you see, and as we were talking before about those people in deck chairs uh, down in that tube during the Blitz, uh, increasing, reducing the circulation of the legs. Yeah. And keeping your legs crossed is not a brilliant idea because, of course, looking at Jonathan, his knee is pressing on the back of his car. Oh, so, Jonathan. Uh, so I'm worried about him. So I, so I uncross my legs and then everything's all right. Is it everything flows nicely? It all flows. It, it all flows beautifully. Uh, next thing, I think it's <laughs> always useful to get up and get a cup of coffee. I can see everybody in the office is waiting on him hand and foot. Yep. So we need him to, to get up <laughs> <laughs> and uh, walk around. He does uh, like doctor. He does like having the staff run around doing his bidding for him. That's the problem, I think. <laughs> oh well, I can understand that. Yeah. I can understand that. We we doctors sometimes have the same delusion of grandeur, but uh, <laughs> but there we go. Um, um, no. do, do, are you used to being spoken to in that rather offish tone, Doctor? I thought he was very disrespectful to you there, very sneering. We, we are very, very good at, at understanding patients and understanding <laughs> the uh, interaction that we get from other people, so that's not a problem. Um, but I would encourage him to get, get up, walk around. Um, and the other good thing is, we, we, we've checked here in the office, no-one's got a family history of blood clots, because if you remember, I was talking yes. about that genetic uh, predisposition to having a high risk of blood clots, and you'd know that because there would be a history of blood clots in the family. So that's always... So can uh, can, can you give a, a tip? What's your top tip for Jonathan Vernon-Smith, apart from 
changing his attitude? What, what, what would you say to him? <laughs> well, um, I think the, the important thing is up on your toes, do a few stretches. Jonathan, up you get. Do, up you get. It's the doctor's orders. Up. Now. Up. What, up on my toes? Up on your That's toes, it. love, That's yes. It. I can't prepare a phone-in on my toes. Oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> he looks very, he's, very, he's quite balanced, actually. Isn't he? Not yes. bad, not bad yeah, at all. I could have been a lovely ballet dancer. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's doing something as simple as that will, will help him. Absolutely, and as we've said, it's all about those exercises. The ones you see on those, uh, if, if you're awake for the uh, video which warns you on the aeroplane about the safety, the safety features, yeah. it also tells you to uh, do those little stretches pedal your feet up and down and that's what's doing it and the other thing of course to do is make sure your chair um is not cutting into the back of your legs yes. uh, which is the important thing and to um and just really to, to make sure your, your calves are clear of any any obstruction that <laughs> simple things like that and then getting up getting up to go and get a, a cup of coffee make a coffee for your, your colleagues jonathan that's an idea i'll have uh, white no sugar please he's, I'll show you well. yeah i think he's on the way down excellent the, dr white you've been a cracking sport can you see anybody else there who, who looks like they could potentially be in trouble or are they all looking okay considering the time of morning actually they're all looking very good excellent stuff dr mike ingram thank you very much indeed and uh if you if you phone up jonathan after nine o'clock and speak to him on the show just say jonathan get up off your to- onto your toes little tippy toes and maybe make a nice cup of coffee for your team and your colleagues. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Interestingly enough, um, I haven't spoken to anybody who can defend the tattoo yet. I would love to. If you've got a tattoo, why, why did you get it done? What made you think, do you know what? This body, this, this, this gift from God that is, is wonderful and wondrous and amazing and beautiful and flabby and hairy and all kinds of weird shapes. I'm going to do... I'm going to deface it. I'm going to do what that young lad did to that Rothko painting. I'm going to draw all over it and put a silly picture and write some words on it. Can you d- d- phone up and defend that and explain why you did it? 08459... Four double five, five double five. It it just strikes me as such an odd thing that you would want to. Hey, a temporary tattoo? Yeah, you know, it looks stupid, but why not? We used to have those little transfers as kids, but a permanent thing. Oh wait, four five nine, four double five, five double five. We'll talk Lance Armstrong, Lance Armstrong in a minute. But first, Dennis and Dunstable, deep vein thrombosis. No, I had a chance. I, I sorry, there was sorry. My doctor thought it might be yes, because I've got this very hard calf muscle. Ooh. Anyway, um, she sent me to these uh, a place in Dunstable where they specialise in this as a unit there. Yes, they started me on the needle, so I had to have an injection every morning from. Thursday till Sunday last week. This last week. Yes. Sunday morning they sent somebody around because they'd given me a needle, but they wouldn't let me do it. Are we sense. building up to a really bad punchline, Dennis? It no, sounds like not. the start of a joke. No, it's not. Oh, okay, it's carry not. on. It, I'll tell you what. It wasn't funny. No, I bet not. I'm getting an injection so, like that. And as I say, Monday morning at ten at uh, nine o'clock, I was in the L and D, and they gave me an ultra scan, which thank God uh, proved to be. Uh, not not deep vein thrombosis. Fantastic. Well, what is it then? What's your your, your big no, hard calf? To, I've got to go tomorrow. Oh mate. For, to see the doctor again, but it's it's very 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 hard. And I'm doing all these exercises. I mean, I keep my feet up and down. I yeah. walk about as much as... I mean... How, acti- eight, how active are you, Dennis? Well, at 87, I like to sit down a lot. Of course so you do. I, but I walk as much as I can. And, then, and when I'm sitting down, I use my calf muscle, keep clenching it up and down. Yeah. So I'm trying to do the best I can. But look, 
I've got nothing against the L and D. The L and D is super. They yeah, treated me superbly. So they'll find you know. out what it is. They'll, they'll sort it out. Don't worry. Well, that's right. They can take me a damn leg off. I can't. I, t- I, t- I tell you what. I, I keep going on about this bad back, Dennis. It's partly because I'm a winger. Oh, it's killing me. Mine's worse. Yeah. Uh, but also, what's it's now? I've now had it so long that my I'm going to I'm going to use medical language here. I apologise if anyone is offended. Yeah. My right buttock. Yes. Oh, it's really sore. It's because re- the, the, the back pain is going all the way down my right leg down. My oh. bum is killing me. Yeah, well, I'm afraid my missus has got that same sort of thing at the moment. So, we, <laughs> Do you massage your what... buttocks? I don't know. She's down one leg. It sounds yeah. to me like a trapped nerve, put yeah. it that way. Would you, would you, Dennis, would you massage my buttocks? Well, I would, yes. Good uh, lad, I look forward to uh, Maybe you can pop in after the show. See you at nine o'clock. Dennis and Dunstable is going to massage my buttocks for me, which is excellent stuff indeed. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. He was once described as the sportsman of the century. Not Dennis and Dunstable. We've moved on from that now. A record-breaking hero on two wheels, but a darker picture is now emerging of the world's leading cyclist and the hero, Lance Armstrong who it's claimed was involved what, with what some commentators have called the biggest fraud in American sporting history. Last night, the US Anti-Doping Agency published a new report claiming that Armstrong was at the centre of the most sophisticated and professional doping programme the sport has ever seen. Eleven of Armstrong's former teammates gave evidence against him. Tyler Hamilton was one of them. He says he witnessed Armstrong take a banned blood transfusion. I only saw him do it once, and it was in the year 2000. Uh, we took the blood out. Um, in the middle of June, and then reinfused it back um, midway through the Tour de France, um, the night before the, I believe, the first rest day. When the blood was taken from us, it was uh, we had actually flown. We were, we were in Nice, France, and we flew on France's private jet down to Valencia, Spain, where uh, the team, some of the team staff, met us. Team doctors. It, it, it sounds like the stuff of science fiction. We can get a view on this now from our reporter, Gavin Lee. Morning, Gavin. Morning. Morning. I, I, I was listening to this driving in this morning, and it just sounds incredible. How damaging is this report? Oh, it's so detailed, and it's so. I mean, it's you're a right, thousand it's, pages, isn't it, or something? It, it, a thousand pages. We've seen the first two hundred, and yeah. there's nothing in sport like it when it comes to documented evidence and testimony against one particular person. It is astonishing, and uh, 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 you can find it hard to see what the other side can be here because mm. twenty-six people testifying against Armstrong, eleven of them former teammates and of their day uh, the US Postal team his team in the late 90s early 2000s they were the of that era the, you know, the Manchester United of the football world mm. for cycling they were the, called the blue train and they've all the riders saying pretty much the same story some have uh, alleged this before some of them for the first time including and the key to this his closest friend in sport the man he called his right hand man a man called George Hincapi who's never tested positive for a single drug who said he did it Armstrong didn't, uh, did it not just involved but he enforced it from the top to make the programme work for him so if we're to believe Lance Armstrong's denial, we have to say everybody else is lying here. And that's why uh, the US Anti-Doping Agency are saying that they have him absolutely banged to rights. Well, Lance Armstrong is still denying it. What are his lawyers saying? Yeah, he is. In fact, the only uh, mention he's had this morning is on Twitter, where he said that, uh, does he care about what's going on? No. Does he treat it seriously? No. He's spending time with his family. Uh, we put a call in overnight to his lawyer, who said it's a one-sided hatchet job. Um, there's nothing in the report they say that's new. It's not a reasoned decision, and they call it a kangaroo court there is, I must say, though, information here that is new, including how uh, his teammates say he actually failed the drug test in 2001, which was covered up by the authorities. So that raises bigger questions mm. about who covered this up, if it did happen. And I remember at the time this, this happening, because a few years before that, Lance Armstrong famously had, was given a 20% chance of, of living on a hospital bed with mm. cancer by doctors. Sponsors dropped him. He came back. This amazing story. He won the tour seven times in a row. There was an issue with cortisone in 2001 where he said it was simply to, to help his tr- 
treatment. Now, they are, his teammates are saying he took cortisone, testosterone, EPO, which increases the oxygen capacity, increases your hemoglobin levels in your blood, and also you know, this very science fiction approach, which is you know, training using this blood, getting oxygen-rich blood, keeping it up until you, you race, and then literally in, injecting wow. it and putting it in transfusion hours before, and that's gone on for years, they say. What I find interesting, Kevin, is that he's denying it, but he says he's not going to fight it. Well, he says he doesn't, volumes, give, doesn't he, he doesn't give. Well, he says he doesn't give the US anti-doping agency any credence yeah. to actually take this forward. But it could mean, you know, and uh, not that it matters in terms of his performance, but a ban for life. And I think he, his reputation is in in tatters because he hasn't fought this now. And, and you know, what the bigger question is what it says now about the sport. Mm. Because you know, if we go back to to the early days of cycling, there was a very famous French quote, which was, "You'll never win the Tour on croissants and Perrier water alone." And, you know, the tacit implication you have to win using something. Tom Simpson, one of the best cyclists of the 60s, d- died on Mount Ventoux, the mountain, with amphetamines in his back pocket. We've had a comment for, this morning from Team Sky's director, David Brailsford, who you know, looked after and manages Bradley Wiggins, mm. the first British winner. He said he, this is jaw-dropping, but there has been a recalibration since uh, the Armstrong era, which has made the sport cleaner than it's ever been before. Team Sky, he says, has always been clean, but there's the key phrase, cleaner than it's ever been before. There are still questions about you know, what's going on in the sport. Gavin, thank you very much. I find that absolutely fascinating. Gavin Lee, our reporter. They're talking about Lance Armstrong and the accusations that he's part of one of the biggest doping campaigns in sport. Incredible. 7.45, Thursday, the 11th of October. These are your headlines this morning. BBC Three Counties Radio. An increasing number of allegations are being made, suggesting that Jimmy Savile preyed on young patients at Stoke Mandeville Hospital in Buckinghamshire. Almost 1,400 people have joined a Facebook campaign calling for the police to take rural crime in Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire more seriously. In sport, Lance Armstrong's former teammate Tyler Hamilton has told the BBC how he saw Armstrong taking drugs multiple times as a US anti-doping agency report exposes what it calls a massive fraud and one of the most sordid chapters in sports history. Your weather for beds, hearts and bucks. Cloudy and wet for much of the day, feeling mild with a top temperature of 15 degrees. And coming up, a group of horse owners are planning a protest after a spate of thefts of animals and a recent arson attack which killed four horses. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, you may have heard earlier on that a group of horse owners and people living in rural parts of... I can't say rural, I've discovered. Rural. Rural parts of Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire are planning a protest over the increase in crime. Following a spate of thefts of animals and a recent arson attack which killed four horses, they have decided to take direct action. Well, Sergeant Jamie Bartlett from Hertfordshire Police specialises in rural crime. Good morning, Sergeant. Hello, Ian. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How big a concern is this sort of crime in the area? Well, all crimes are concerned uh, to us, and we try and work with the public to ensure that um, we uh, are successful in detecting it, but also that there's not an undue fear of uh, crime. Sometimes the fear of crime outweighs the actual um, reality, but anything that concerns the public we take seriously. This group seem to think that rural crime isn't being taken seriously, and that's why they're organised. They've got 1,400 signatures on a Facebook page. They're organising mm-hmm. a protest. What's mm-hmm. your reaction to that? Well, here in Hertfordshire Police, and I can only comment from Hertfordshire Police, we do take uh, rural crime very seriously. Um, and recently we've set up the Rural Operational Support Team, which is a small team uh, of officers that support uh, local officers, the safer neighbourhood teams, to make sure that rural crime is brought to the, uh, the agenda. It also covers wildlife crime, environmental crime and heritage crime to make sure that those areas which are normally more of a concern for people living in rural areas are being addressed and people fully understand 
um, the impact and how we can take things forward with partners. What kind of crimes are more prevalent in, in, in rural areas? Well, at the moment, we've just gone into the hair coursing season, so we're doing a lot of work around uh, hair coursing. Um, theft of metal is quite a big problem. We work with farmers and landowners to secure plants and uh, agricultural machinery. Um, and we've done quite a lot in Hertfordshire. We've recently had our seventh rural crime um, conference up at headquarters where uh, 100 um, staff, police uh, staff and police officers attended. And we're very actively um, part of both rural and national uh, committees looking at rural crime. In fact, yesterday I was up in Lancashire where the newly appointed um, chief constable responsible for rural and wildlife crime um, was uh, leading a workshop on how nationally we can um, work for the rural communities. Is there much you can do? Because a lot of these places are <laughs> very remote. They're <laughs> in, in the middle of large remote areas. Exactly. I guess that creates a big problem for you, doesn't it? Oh, it, yeah, it is a big problem. Obviously, uh, resources are um, uh, stretched as it is. Um, so we are very much tar- we, we very much target our patrols. So we, we're very much reliant on people giving us information of sp- suspicious people, suspicious vehicles, uh, suspicious activity. If they suspect that fly tipping or poaching or hair coursing or anything else that uh, primarily affects rural communities, we want to know about it. And this is sometimes the problem. The public know that we're stretched and don't always um, tell us about things, thinking that we're we're, um, too busy dealing with other, uh, in inverted commas, normal crimes. But rural crime, we're trying to get onto the agenda so that we all take uh, these incidents that happen in rural locations uh, very seriously and they're treated the same way as we would treat any other crime. Sergeant Bartley, I've heard stories of of um, uh, people in these rural areas saying that they know who's stealing their animals, they know mm. who's doing the crimes, and they've given names to the police, and the police kind of don't do anything about it. Well, I'd be very interested to know about specifics. I, I, I don't know anything along those lines. And as I say, my team would work very closely with the local teams at all the different rural areas within Hertfordshire, um, and we're, we're very interested to ensure that uh, detections are made mm. and this sort of thing ceases. Um, and as I say, we work with partners and we work with cross-border uh, other forces in uh, and other areas to ensure that we do take these things seriously. So if people have got information they can either let us know or they can phone Crime Stoppers in the normal way on yep. 0800 555 111, report that uh, information anonymously and we can take matters forward. What would you say to these, these um, people who are obviously upset uh, 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 and are planning a protest? What would you say to them? Well, if there's people that want to make contact with us, um, uh, either a local basis, speaking to the local Safer Neighbourhood teams, or if they want to talk to me uh, as somebody that covers the whole of the force and tries to uh, work with partners uh, to, to, to tackle this sort of thing, then they'd be more than welcome. Um, one of my colleagues on my team is um, just setting up a Facebook page herself, because if, if Facebook is the preferred medium for um, people involved in this, then uh, we're, we're going to have a, a specific equine page that people can talk to us on there. So Brilliant. there's a variety of things that people can do. Uh, Sergeant Jamie Bartlett from Hertfordshire Police, thank you very much. 08459 455 555. If you've been affected by any of those things, do let us know um, if you're happy with, with uh, the, the sergeant's answers there. He seems very keen to sort this out, and why wouldn't he be? It's their job. 08459 455 555. We're talking about deep vein thrombosis. There is an increased risk of getting it uh, in uh, the, the office, in the workplace, because we don't get up move around enough. If, you, if you're like Jonathan Vernon-Smith and you sit there and you are waited on hand and foot by your, your team of staff, work experience, badly paid, badly treated staff, 
um, then you, there is increased risk. Now, I said, we'll, we'll do this. We won't get any calls from anybody who's got DVT. No one will have it. I've been proved wrong, haven't I? Uh, Steve is in Heath and Reach. Steve, have, have you got DVT? No, I haven't, but my wife did have three right. years ago. How did that happen? Well, um, <laughs> she just was complaining about a pain in her left knee. Yeah. Um, and it got more and more painful. Unfortunately, I had to travel uh, on business out to the Middle East and had a very desperate call from her saying she couldn't put any weight on her left leg at all. Um, it, was, it was that painful. She was then taken into hospital um, and it was immediately diagnosed and she was rushed across to Bedford Hospital, in fact, who were absolutely superb, yeah. um, as a very serious clot. Her leg literally exploded into almost like a tree trunk. It was that bad. Wow. And um, there was a danger she could have lost her left leg, or in fact, if the clot had have moved, she could have got a pulmonary embolism, which would have killed her. Well, that, seem, that's, that seems to be the main threat, isn't it? If the clot starts moving and gets into your lungs, that's Correct. when you're in really serious trouble. So why, why did she get it? Was, did, did she sit at home a no, lot? No, <laughs> she's listening to this on the way to Milton Keynes, so be careful. Oh, OK, she sorry. Can, she can turn round to Luton, I tell Sorry, you. Mrs Steve, I do apologise. Okay. So she's not a lazy person. No, she's, she's um, worked as a chef in a restaurant, so she's always on her feet, always, you know, busy. Um, we, we have animals, so we're always walking the animals. There is no rhyme or reason, and, and the specialist at Bedford Hospital said there's no rhyme or reason why she got it. The problem is, because it was so serious, she now has to take warfarin for the rest of her life, right. have regular INR blood checks to check yeah. the, the viscosity, I guess that's the right word, of the blood as it flows through her body. Yeah. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And very frightening. I, I'll tell you this, it is very frightening. If people have pains in their left leg, especially around the knee joints or... Well, don't, cause I'm, no, don't, because I'm feeling, I'm feeling achy around my knee joints now I'm you're serious. saying that, Steve. Get to the doctor, get it checked. Now, Steve, listen, you said that Mrs. Steve is uh, a chef. Yes. Is she, and be honest, is she a bit of the Gordon Ramsay? Does she like bossing people around in the kitchen a bit? Um, has, she, has she got a potty well, mouth? Well, not really, no. Actually, my son works with her as well, so I think he's the boss more than she right. is sometimes. Okay. But... I you know, you know, it's at home, I do the cooking. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Well, because I do. Are because you any good? You, well, I think I they certainly enjoyed what I did last <laughs> night, so... What did you do for Mrs. Steve last night? Keep it clean. Well, I did it for five people, actually. Yeah. Um, basically, it's pork in a very rich honey and Dijon mustard uh, sauce. Homemade sauce. Look so. at you, Steve, with your fancy cookings and your fancy Dijon mustard sauces. Thank you very much, Stephen Heathenreach, his wife. Had DVT. We were talking about earlier um, uh, about the horses, the horse crime, the rural crime in Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire. Valerie is in Sandy. Morning, Valerie. Morning. You, do, do you live in a, a rural area of Sandy? Yes, what, yes, uh, I do. What happened to you? Um, I used to keep my ponies in Dunton, a field in Dunton. Yep. Um, very sort of rural there, although along um, off of a busy main road. Um, I went there one morning. And my barn had been broken into, three of my ponies were taken, my generator, my rugs, head collars, things like that, which I didn't even report, I was too worried about the ponies. Yeah. Um, I I was absolutely gutted, I mean, it made me ill, I was off work on antidepressants for two years afterwards because it destroyed me. I love my ponies, as we all do. Um, they haven't even opened the pens, they'd thrown ponies over the top, these are little miniature ponies. Hang on, they, they, hang on. They picked the pony up and thrown it over the fence? Throw it over a fence, yes. A pony? 
a pony. They're tiny little miniature ponies. They pick them up and threw them over the fence. Right. Um, <laughs> this is only a little bit of what goes on. Yeah. Um, and what happened? Anyway, to you, you, you got in touch with the police, and, and what did they do? I got do? in touch with the police because I sat there absolutely devastated. My barn door had been levered off. Yes, ooh. and the and the um, big lump of wood they'd used to lever it off was still lying there. Yeah. I called the police and sat there absolutely gutted. Um, and I sat there most of the day, and then I phoned the police back because didn't nobody came, and uh, she said. Oh no, she said, we don't send anybody out to an incident like that. So uh, they didn't even send anybody out. And then eventually, after I kicked up the next day, a police officer came out. I actually found my ponies myself with help from all other um, sort of equine people in the area and people I know. We put posters everywhere, pictures of the ponies. Um, And then I got a a call from a lady in Kent, Horsewatch, who said that one of my ponies, she'd seen the posters, and one that looked like it was tied to a telegraph pole in Kent. Valerie, sorry to interrupt, because we are running out of time. We heard from uh, Sergeant Jamie Bartley. Now, he is from Hertfordshire Police, but he he said that that in Hertfordshire they're they're very keen to tackle rural crime and that they're they're always listening to what people are saying. That's not the case for you in beds? No, absolutely, definitely not. I mean, I did have one nice police officer who came down and was very helpful. He did all he could. Mm. But as he said, the same as myself, his hands are tied. He's, he couldn't really do much. Did I had to th- did you get the ponies back? I had to find the ponies myself and I had to buy them back. Oh, my goodness. Great. Well, Valerie, listen, thank you very much. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Does that happen to you, rural crime? I know, listen, it's going to affect a small number of people listening to it, to this show. But... If you're one of those people, could you give me a call and let me know? Particularly if you live in Hertfordshire, what happened and how did the police react? 08459 455 555. I do have an image of a pony being picked up and lifted over a fence, though. Seems very odd. Last hour of the show coming up, Jonathan Vernon-Smith will pop in, hopefully with my coffee. White, no sugar. Also be speaking to Jimmy Savile's biographer. What does he make of the recent revelations? 08459 455 555. Here's the news with Catherine. I do like it when it's 8 o'clock, because it means I'm just that little bit closer to going to the local cafe and getting my fried egg roll and my cheese and onion toasty. Good good times, dear listener, good times. Last hour of the show, plenty coming up. Jonathan Vernon-Smith will pop in in about 15 minutes to let us know what he's talking about. We'll be speaking to Jimmy Savile's biographer. Find out what he makes of this. And listen, if you've got, I'm going to say it, if you've got tattoos, you are some kind of deviant. 08459 455 555. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or you can email 3CR at bbc.co.uk. BBC Three Counties Radio. Been a busy show this morning, and if uh, any of the things we're talking about, uh, Jimmy Savile, uh, the, um, the, the rural crime, anything like that, you want to give us a call uh, about oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We have I've yet to speak to someone who can defend the tattoos. Oh, they look awful. I saw this young mum yesterday in town, and she had this tramp stamp. She had wet look low-cut leggings. I mean, and they were they were very low-cut. I could see the beginning of something I did not want to see the end of. And a horrible tattoo just above it, and she was pushing a buggy, and there was a baby, and you just think, that poor kid. That poor kid. Her mum thinks it's appropriate to not only have that, but to walk around 
and display it. Unbelievable. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. If you want to give me a call, you can text 81333. Starting your text uh, 3CR. It will be difficult, I think, for anybody before 9 o'clock to successfully defend the tattoo. Because it, 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 you just can't do it. It's just awful, isn't it? It's just absolutely gross. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. OK, well, I shall read this and let's see what happens. We now know... Um, Oh, look, I tell you why, because I've scrolled down to the bottom of that. Look, I'm looking at totally the wrong thing. I'm such a silly sausage. More abuse allegations have emerged, I am, surrounding Jimmy Savile. Uh, a former patient at the Stoke Mandeville Hospital in Buckinghamshire told the BBC that nurses warned them to stay in bed and pretend to be asleep when the TV star came through the wards. Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust, which runs the hospital, have released a statement saying they are shocked at the claims and never received any complaints, but they are cooperating fully with police inquiries. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been asking these people in the three counties whether they're shocked by the revelations. Well, here's Brian, who's working nice and early in Bedfordshire this morning. Brian, to you, Jimmy Savile will always be Sir Jimmy Savile. His knighthood shouldn't be stripped. Correct. And tell us why. He's dead and gone. If these people had to come forward while he was living, then they could have stripped him of it. If everything is found to be true. It were well documented in the 60s and 70s up north that he liked to be with young girls but mm. nothing ever came forward nobody ever came forward he's dead and gone leave it as it is but what about some of the evidence that we have heard in the last couple of weeks it's rather shocking and, and so many people coming forward now i'm not shocked i'm not shocked at all i heard about this a long time ago mm. it was well documented in yorkshire that he liked to be with young girls mm. and have young girls around him but, but if that was being rumored back then why are you saying that he deserves to be a sir still? Because if he was doing these type of things, that's just not right, surely? Well, nothing had been proven. Nobody mm. came forward mm. and contested anything or complained yeah. about anything. Yeah. So he just went his own sweet way. Andrea, what's your thoughts on Sir Jimmy Savile? Should he still be Sir Jimmy Savile? I don't think he should be, no. I think he should be stripped of his knighthood, although it's a bit late, he won't know anything about it. Uh, and have you been shocked over the last couple of weeks about what you've heard? Because this man was, was an absolute legend in this country, loved by millions. I'm not actually shocked because I heard rumours from my sister-in-law who lived in Scotland um, and she told me stories about girls that he'd, he'd sort of abused. Really? Yeah, years so, and years ago. So and we're talking you, over 30, 40 years ago. So where did your sister work? Um, she doesn't work now. Yeah. yeah. But it was people in Scotland that came down to Top of the Pops. You see, it's staggering, isn't it? It seems that so many people have got so many stories. Yes, yeah. Sad, isn't it? Yeah. So for you, definitely, with what you've heard, not just now but in the past as well, definitely 100% he should be stripped of that knighthood. Yes, definitely. Now, Malcolm, you thought that Sir Jimmy Savile was an absolute legend, certainly for his broadcasting work and his charity work, but your opinion has completely changed now, and you think that knighthood should be stripped? I think it should be stripped, yeah. I mean, if, if the allegations are true, then definitely it should be stripped. Mm. Um wasn't over keen on him on the television, but you know, I did appreciate that he'd done an awful lot of good, especially at Stoke Mandeville. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it should be stripped. A lot of people have said to me this morning they weren't shocked. When you heard about the television programme, when you're hearing the stories in your newspaper that you bought right now, 
Are you shocked by yes. these revelations? Yes, I am shocked. Because I thought he was, you know, whiter than white. Well, we can uh, talk now to journalist Dan Davis, who's writing a Jimmy Savile biography. Met him many, many times. Morning, Dan. Good morning. When did you start writing the bi- biography? Well, I first interviewed in Jimmy, Jimmy in 2004 yeah. for a major magazine piece, and then again in 2006, and again in 2008, and then continued interviewing him after that, because these interviews would last two or three days at a time. I found him very intriguing. Mm. I felt that there was something behind the mask. I wasn't sure what it was. Like a lot of the people we've just heard in that report, I'd heard the rumours, but um, I had, I'd seen nothing when I was with him to corroborate those rumours and couldn't find anybody who would step forward while he was alive. Mm. I think the thing with Jimmy is he was incredibly well connected. He'd wormed his way into the heart of the establishment and I think that people were genuinely afraid to come forward. So these these chats, interviews you have with him that lasted days, there was never any hint of anything kind of seedy or or, or dubious about him at all? Oh no, there were hints without a doubt. I mean, looking back at some of those transcripts now, I mean, there were certain things at the time that struck me forcibly. I mean, in the interview, in the documentary, the ITV documentary last week, when Jimmy Savile was talking about Gary Glitter, that was with an interview with me. Um, right, this is, this is the clip where he said basically Glitter had done nothing wrong, he'd, he'd got those pictures for his own, of, of young girls for his own pleasure, and that his only crime was taking the computer into PC World. Exactly, yeah. and I was absolutely shocked by that, and my, re- my reply to him was, well, what about Gary Glitter's um, behaviour with those girls in Southeast Asia, those un- underage girls? And his reply to that now is incredibly revealing. It was shocking then, but he said, are you telling me that some dirty tabloid didn't put those little birds into him? And those were his exact words. Mm. How I mean, far- were- go, go, carry on, Dan. Sorry, there were, you know, there were other things now that... I mean, there were things that he said at the time that I thought were very strange, but, you know, looking back through the lens of what I found out really in the last... Um, number of months since news broke of the of the Newsnight report being axed. Mm. I mean, I've, I've been on this story since then, and, you know, since then, a lot of what I've discovered, and, the, and of course the allegations keep coming through, mm. have thrown those quotes and things he said in, into a totally new light. What kind of things? Can you think of any? Well, just his sort of attitude about um, women. I mean, his... Whenever I, whenever I asked him about these rumours, and these rumours, as, as some of the people you spoke to on the streets have confirmed, were well known, and mm. I asked him about these rumours on five or six occasions, and his replies always seemed to start from a point of guilt and then work backwards, right. which was a very strange way of, of rebutting some, you know, a pretty awful allegation. It would start, I mean, he, when I asked him, you know, the very first time I met him in 2004, I said, what about these rumours that you're, you know, you're into underage girls? And he said... The reason I don't have a computer in my house is that people would think I'd be up downloading porn all night and somebody would come in and steal my hard drive, which is a very strange way of saying, you know what, these yeah. rumours are absolute rubbish. Yeah. How far down the line are you with, with, with the book now? And is it, basically, well, I'm asking, is it a complete rewrite now to include these, these uh, allegations? I mean, you know, I've been reworking it since earlier this year. I mean, obviously, this story is still moving on. Um, I, when, after he died, I got to a point where I'd written 70,000 words, but I didn't feel deep down that I had the full story. I mm. hadn't got to the heart of who Jimmy Savile was. And actually, 
subsequent to his death, it's been a lot easier speaking to people because people were, even those people who knew Jimmy or worked with Jimmy or even were sort of associates of Jimmy, they were quite frightened to talk on the record about Jimmy while he was alive. He was a very powerful, Mm. he was a very um, controlling person. So really the story has been developing over the last few months and it's still got some way to run. Dan, would you have published this book while he was still alive with allegations in? I didn't have I didn't have the allegations. I didn't have people right. who were supporting the allegations and supporting the rumours while he was alive. It was only um, well, actually, I had a couple to be honest with you, but that would have been probably five or six voices talking of things they'd seen. And yes, I, I probably would. Although he was incredibly litigious, mm. he was a very very litigious guy. And you know, he was an honorary doctor of law. He used to boast about his connections, um, whether it would be with royalty, whether it be in the sort of higher echelons of government, whether it be within the judiciary or the church. Um, And those are four fairly formidable areas of the establishment to be in. So certainly it would have been a consideration. But subsequently, you know, since he's died, you know, as I wrote in a piece in the Mail on Sunday this last weekend, the shackles on the truth have fallen away. And Mm -hmm. we are starting to get to the bottom of who this guy was. But I think the interesting thing is I don't think he ever knew who he was. Mm. Um, I think he, he really struggled. He was a very damaged individual. And I think there was a sense of guilt that was coming out for many, many years in what he said to people, what he wrote. Um, And sadly, I think an aspect of his charitable work was probably driven out of that guilt. I think the really really distressing thing with these latest allegations is is um, the prospect or the thought that he might have been doing this charity work as a, mm. as a, a to, to engineer an opportunity to, um, to commit more offences. Very, uh, very quickly, Dan, I don't want any names. Uh, there are reports that other celebrities are being investigated. Do, do you know who they, these people are, these names are? I do. Okay, I don't want to go any further than that. Dan, listen, thank you very much. You're either sitting on the, the biggest seller of biography or a book that no one's going to touch. It's, it's interesting, because <laughs> it could go either way, couldn't it, really? People could be it, so disgusted by it, or they could go, they've got to know the true story. I think that's very true. I mean, I think it's the, the, the really interesting thing about this book is he duped all of us. Yeah. He duped a whole nation. This was a guy who meant... Uh, things to, to differing generations of young people. He was an icon to the Jim or Fixit generation, to mm. the Top of the Pops generation, and he duped us all. And this is really what this story is about. How did he do that? Who was this guy behind the mask, the most conspicuous man in Britain, the tracksuits, the jewellery, the white hair, yet nobody knew who mm. the guy was at, you know, behind this facade. And that's really what I'm trying to get to. Dan, listen, it's lovely talking to you. Thank you very much. Fascinating. Dan Davis, who's... who's it's either the, the dream gig or the nightmare gig, isn't it? He's writing the Jimmy Savile biography. Would you buy it? I would. I'll be honest. So we kind of have a little discussion off air with my producer. I would buy it. Would you buy a biography of, of, of Jimmy Savile that, that had all of the details? I'd be fascinated by it. 08459 455 555. It's 8.16. It's Thursday, the 11th of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. An increasing number of uh, allegations are being made that Jimmy Savile targeted children in the course of his work as a volunteer at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. Almost 1,400 people have joined a Facebook campaign calling for the police to tackle a spate of country crime in Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire. In sport, lawyers for the seven times Tour de France winner Lance Armstrong say that a report condemning him as a drugs cheat is a one-sided hatchet job. And coming up, what insurance don't you have? We're insuring the wrong things. Hear more in a bit. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Radio. Joined by um, Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Sons Coffee, we'll overlook that. You had a little visit from our Dr Mike Ingram earlier on. Yes. Um, and he gave you a few exercises to do. He did. I've been standing on my tippy toes all morning. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded genuinely hacked off that we'd interrupted your, in inverted commas, prep. No, it's fine. We were just in the middle of having our, our discussion to decide what we're going to talk about. I felt just in the mood to have my deep vein thrombosis risk assessed. <laughs> now, what have you got this morning? I have a suspicion I know where it's going to go. Yes, well, you'd probably be right. On the big phone in today, I'm asking, can you understand why the victims waited until Jimmy Savile was dead? It's the story that keeps getting bigger. There are growing numbers of allegations that Sir Jimmy Savile targeted children at Stoke Mandeville Hospital in Buckinghamshire where he was working as a volunteer fundraiser. I was very interested to hear some of the, the people that Justin was talking mm. to. And there seemed to be that, that idea. And, and people have said this to me as well. Why didn't the victims say anything earlier? Yep. Why didn't they expose him earlier? If they'd done something, if they'd exposed him while he was alive, then proper justice could have been had. Yep. And, and they didn't. But why is that? Is it easier said than done to actually come some out and expose did, didn't they? Some did come yes. forward. There were a few that went to the police, and there was a girl in the 70s who was abused at school. She got locked up in a room for three days yeah. for, for saying that. But uh, yeah, it seems that there's a culture of fear. Yes, absolutely. And perhaps people who have themselves been the victim of, of child abuse can mm. totally understand why it may seem simple yep. on paper to say, well, just go out and expose the guy. Go and shout. Demand that the police take it seriously mm. and refuse to go away until somebody listens but perhaps when you've been the victim it's really not that easy from nine this morning can you understand why the victims waited until jimmy savile was dead call me i want your view and your experience if you have one oh eight four five nine four double five five double five that's gonna be very interesting i don't know if you just heard we had dan davis who's who's writing yes in jimmy savile's biography would you read it would i read it um no really no not why really. I d I'm not really... From what's come out, yeah. I'm not interested in reading anything about the man, to be honest. You're not fascinated, because he was... I, I would read it. I, I, I would read it, because he, he was such a big force in, in all of our lives, whether it be show business, charity, whatever. And just... I'm fascinated by how that went wrong. If, if, it's hard to explain. It, I, I, maybe there is kind of a, a, a lurid... I, I'm interested in a bit of gossip. I, I, I'd like to think it's a little bit more than that, because it was, he was such an imposing figure through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. I'm curious as to how that all went wrong for him. I'm, I'm just amazed at how he got away with it yeah, for so yeah. long. You know, this is a guy that... I mean, I used to love Jim will fix it. Of course, yeah. You know, Jimmy no, Savile... Well, yeah, absolutely. How on earth did he get away with it for yeah. so long? Incredible. Well, from okay. nine this morning, we'll talk about We should it. be listening, Jonathan. Thank you very much indeed. Jonathan Vernon-Smith on at nine o'clock. It's the same number as it is for me. Uh, if you're going to call him at nine, you, you just jot this number down. Don't phone him just yet, but 08459 455 555. You can email him now if you want. 3cr at bbc.co.uk. If you've got tattoos, you're some kind of deviant. I, I've said it. I really, I really disapprove of them. I think they're hideous. I think they're horrible. And I saw a young mum in town yesterday, young mum, with uh, low-cut... Very low cut, wet look leggings, and a, t a tramp stamp. You know those kind of big tattoos just above her backside. Oh, it's horrible! And she's pushing a little baby in a buggy. What? I really felt sorry for that kid. Sherry in Bedford is calling. Morning, Sherry. Good morning to you. I must actually have um, some to say about your comments. Yes, go on. Um, firstly, what would you have liked that mum to have worn? 
I mean, what would be appropriate dress for a young mother in a buggy? Something that didn't show off her backside. Well, you see, why why don't you rather not look? If you don't like something, don't look. Well, because it's, it's on display. I've got no choice but to look. She's walking in front of me. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can literally see the, the, the top of the... And, and the poor child. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm sure the child was very happy. It's been well fed. And I don't think, actually, that really makes any difference to a child in a buggy as to what their mum looks like. The fact they've been taken well care of is actually perfectly good enough it shouldn't matter and and she should be able to wear whatever she likes i don't have a tattoo i don't approve of the low-cut leggings but you know if i don't like something i don't look at it it well first of all that's a nonsense argument show you that doesn't work because uh, if uh, there is nonsense if there is a woman who's basically showing off the top of her backside and i could literally see the top of it these trousers were that low cut that is inappropriate. That should not be allowed in the street, full stop, OK? She had a crop top, low cut, so there was, I could see pretty much everything. That shouldn't be allowed. And yet that kid might not mind now, the kid's in a buggy, but when the kid grows up, she's got that kid, boy or girl, is going to be aware that there are people leering at her mum's backside, that she's showing off her body. The tattoo is pointing down to her bum. That's not, that's not a, a good example so, to set to a so child, Sherry. You, you couldn't help looking. Of course not. But you weren't leering. I wasn't leering. I was disgusted by it. I could, of course I couldn't right, help looking. Right, well, it shouldn't be that. Well, I think we should call for a, a, a dress to annoy Ian there, and every single woman in Bedfordshire hearts, yeah. you know, beds, bucks and, and hearts should actually dress up like that. Okay. Just, <laughs> just to prove the What girls don't understand, and this is, a, this is a serious point, is that if there is a bum on display or a boob, men are genetically programmed... To look at it. Well, that's exactly the, re- the reaction she wants, probably. But why would, she, also, why would I, a mum want to show I, that I, off? It's disgusting. I actually disagree. I think a lot of women aren't aware to the extent to oh, which men actually look. No, on, no, there Sherry, are a lot. Come on, she was showing not. everything off. No, no, there are a lot who do not. That poor and they're not child. Even when. <laughs> when that listen, child goes listen, to school. No, no, and, and you, the your kids argument. Will laugh. No, I'm going to use your argument now as own nonsense. You know, yeah. Well, back um, it up with fact. I back mine no, up with no, fact. Go on. No, that's not fact. That's your personal no, opinion. It, it's, I, it, what absolute, you said was nonsense. No, no, it's and I backed nonsense. it up with fact. Absolute nonsense. A poor child is a child who is not fed, who is not looked after, and who is, you know, basically, you've, you've seen enough in the news to at the moment to actually see what poor a parent is, and there's nothing wrong with that child's mother dressing exactly how she wants. Thanks for calling, Sherry. You don't have to look. You do, I do have to look. It's a genetic program. <laughs> you, you don't understand. Oh, it's a, oh, do you right. not understand genetic, how these things work? I was about to let program. you go, and we were going to be friends, and now you've, oh, you've that, got me angry does that mean now. A genetic program, does that mean if you see a woman that you particularly like, you go and grab her by the hair, because that's in genetic programming? Oh, now you're, but now you're or, being silly, uh, Sherry. Uh, uh, oh, 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 and oh, you're oh. not? No, not in the slightest. Sherry Bedford, thank you very much. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Now, this morning we've been hearing about the growing problem of the insurance gap. People not having enough money to replace items after an insurance payout. So they've insured maybe £10,000 worth of stuff, but actually they've got £35,000 worth of stuff in their house. Malcolm Tarling is from the Association of British Insurers and joins me now. Good morning, Malcolm. Good morning. Is this a common thing that people are under-insuring? Well, I'm not sure it's a common thing, because we now have no statistics or facts to back that up, but we're certainly aware that there will be some people out there who probably more by accident than design just underestimate the value of their content. There was some, a survey done some time ago, admittedly, but uh, it's probably still relevant, that suggested that the, the, the value of the average two-bedroom home in terms of the contents is around forty-five to £48,000. Really? Now, most people will probably balk at that suggestion. I'm balking! Um, so I think 
it's more a question of people genuinely underestimate the value of their items um, uh, when it comes to insurance. Insurance is... I don't want to use con. It's, it's, it's a strong mm-hmm. one. It's a gamble, isn't it? It's, you're, you're basically paying a few hundred quid a year on the chance that you might get burgled. I can understand why some people might not want to take that risk. Well, it is a, it is a gamble in a, in, a, in a crude sense, yes. You are, um, you are paying money against something that's one of these few purchases where you buy it and hope you never have to use it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, you're, buying a, you're buying protection against something you do not want to happen. But mm. the reality is that you know the unwanted does happen in life you know we do get floods you know we've had you know a washout summer when thousands of people have been affected by severe floods we do get burglaries we do suffer you know we do have accidents around the home we do have storm and wind damage so yes it is a gamble um but the thing is of course if you don't uh, if you don't sort of take out the insurance and the worst does happen you are not just looking typically a couple of hundred pounds mm. the average flood claim for example and this is a couple of centimeters of water in your living room we're not talking about sort of uh, a flood of biblical proportions. A mm. couple of inches of water in your living room can cost anything between twenty to forty thousand pounds. So you know th- this, this is a this is a these are these are big claims and these are big losses that uh, that we're talking about. Very quickly, Malcolm, I- insurance companies they could play a little bit fairer, couldn't they? Because I, I've deliberately not put claims on my contents insurance because I know my premium will go up probably more than the thing I've claimed for. And you mentioned floods. A lot of companies they just use the postcode uh, kind of system as opposed to the common sense system. If you live in a postcode where one area might be flooded the insurance just goes up massively doesn't it well on the base on looking at the the flood issue firstly yes insurance companies do use postcodes but they don't just use postcodes because they recognize that within a postcode you may live on a hill for example and you may not be as vulnerable as you as you might be in other parts of the uh, postcode they'll also use other information using the latest environment and uh, in environment agency data they will use digital mapping systems in many cases that gives them as accurate picture as possible but it's not you don't have to live near a river to be flooded these mm. days. We have a problem of surface water f- flooding. When Malcolm, listen, I'm sorry to stop you there. We're, we're running out of time, but Malcolm Tarling, thank you. Fascinating. From the Association of British Insurers. The BBC in beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Uh, plenty coming up the last half an hour of the show. More on Jimmy Savile. C- couldn't you call up and defend tattoos? That last caller, she had a good crack at it. She, she didn't do brilliantly, but she had a good crack. I would give that, um, I'd give it five out of ten. Oh, eight, four, five, nine. Four double five, five double five. Now, very excitingly, uh, on uh, BBC Three Counties Radio, Nick Coffer is going to be speaking to Julia Donaldson from Twelve. You don't know who she is? Shame on you. She wrote the Gruffalo, the Snail, and the Whale, and loads of other stuff. In Tiddler, there is a, a diver that's supposed to be me, and I have been snorkelling, and I'm sure that was part of the inspiration for writing a book about, you know, tropical fish. Um, yeah, and in Tabby McTart, there is a busker, and I did used to go busking. One of my books, Princess Mirabelle, Mirror Bell, as in, you know, the looking glass. That's a bit the opposite of Alice Sue Looking Glass. A girl comes out of the mirror, and one of my children did have an imaginary friend who was his reflection in the mirror and came out of the mirror, according to my son, anyway. So, yes, you, they, you know, you do get bits of yourself and your children in there but of course you change them when you write the book it's going to be a cracking list from julia donaldson uh, on nick coffee's show from 12 o'clock oh wait four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number if you want to give us a call mick is in watford good morning mick good morning well what can i do for you sir 
Well, it's to do with the Savile business, Jimmy yeah. Savile. Yeah, go on. Well, what it is, I, I, I play golf, and when I, I'll just be as quick as I can. Went to golf last week, one of the chats I played golf with, well, all three of them went to the same school as me. Yeah. And I said to him, uh, what do you think about this Jimmy Savile business? They said, well, they said, these people said, is it, is it true, or is it just that people are after compensation? I said, John, well, I shouldn't mention names. That's okay, this is just, just a vague enough name, no I said, names. um... Take your mind back. I said, you went to the same school as me. I said, who was at our school? I won't mention his Don't name. Don't mention any names. He said, uh, you're all about the geography teacher, aren't you? I said, yeah. I said, what he used to do, he used to come to the football. Mm. He was a geography teacher. But he used to come to the football when the kids went up there to play football at the field. And it was a common, everybody in the school knew about it, all the kids, because when you went there, the older boys used to say to you, when you go to football, don't let him come near you. They said, if you get a knock on the leg, limp away and make out you're all right. Well, what he used to do was, he would come over and rub your leg, but he'd done it to me. He would rub your shin, but his other hand would be up your shorts. Right, now, everybody in the school knew about this. All the, all the all the boys did, because you were warned by other kids. And it was common knowledge. We talk about it now, we mention his name. And uh, what I'm forgetting at is, mm. I said to this chap, did you go home and tell your mum? He said, no. I said, nor did I. I said, none of us did. I said, and that bloke got away with it for years doing that to kids. I said, he must have touched hundreds of boys. I said, and nobody, he, he was a teacher there for years. Mick, I can, said, I, can I ask... So people, what I'm getting at is, yeah. kids at that age, 11 and 12, 13, yeah. look on adults as something... You, you don't know what's happening. Yeah. How old were you? You were 11 years old. I was Mick? about 11, 12. And so why didn't you go and tell one of the teachers or go and tell your mum? I don't know, you, you, you're not quite sure whether he's done it to you, and uh, you know it's wrong, but you're not sexually mature, especially boys at that age. Well, I wasn't anyway. Yeah. And I thought, that's not right what he's doing, and I didn't like it, mm. and um, I told him so. You I was actually, lucky you, I'd got older brothers. Right, you, so you mentioned it, you said to him, oh, stop that. Yeah. I said, I said, otherwise I'd tell my brothers. I didn't mention my mum and dad, funny enough. I mm. said, because I thought my brothers might scare him more, because my brothers were all in their 20s. Yeah. I said, I've got older brothers. I said, no, I'll tell them. What did he say? He didn't say nothing. Yeah. Did he do it again? It, uh, he didn't, no. He stayed away from me. Yeah. But there was probably kids there that he did uh, get away with it with, who wasn't... I mean, you can tell by the way I am. You know me. I've come on the programme before. I mean, I've spoken. That's who I am. And I've been like that from, probably from a kid. Mm. Um, but there are people that go through life that are frightened to speak up. Um, they haven't got... Don't come from big families. And then if you come from a small family, you haven't perhaps got anybody to confer with or you haven't got anybody to tell about. But what I'm getting at is, I can understand why these people didn't come forward. Because yeah. a lot of people say, oh, well, they should have come forward. I can understand why they didn't, because that happened to me personally, and there was hundreds of kids at that school. Mick, listen, let me tell you something. You knew about it. Listen, you've been honest with me, I'll be honest with you. Something similar happened to me when I was in the Cubs, right? Right. Something similar, I'm not going to go into the details now, but no. something similar happened, and it was happening to lots and lots of boys, probably hundreds of boys, Yeah. Right? And I only told my mum about it six years ago. Yeah. And she was so upset 
when I told her. She was in tears. She was, why didn't you tell me when you were n- I was nine? Why didn't you tell me when you were nine? And I don't... I was afraid of this guy, because he was such a, a, a well-respected member of the community. I was afraid I would get told off. That's right. When you've got a school teacher, they... they it, I'm, I'm going back... I'm going back 60... Well, nearly 60 years. Yeah. T- school teachers at that time... Was on a pedestal, weren't yeah, they? Of course they were. L- Mick, Mick, listen, we've got to move on. But I really appreciate your honesty. I'm not going to go into detail what happened to me. It was not particularly pleasant, or you know, it's not the biggest crime there was. But it made me feel oh, I can't tell my mum this. I told her six years ago. She was devastated. And now looking back, I wish I told my dad because my dad would have gone around and clobbered the fella. You know, and I've spoken to people since who were in that situation, and they were like, "Oh yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah, I remember that happening." Uh, it's weird. I wish you know. Anyway. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Moving on, a group of people living in rural parts of Hertfordshire and Buckinghamshire are planning to hold a rally because of the increase in crime in their areas. They say a recent arson, which left four horses dead, was the last straw. Earlier on, we heard from Joe Orley, who says they've been pushed into action. We've all got to the point now where we've all had enough and we want things done. We're not going to sit down and just take it anymore. We've had break-ins left, right and centre. We've had people's tack all taken, replaced, and then they take it again. Horses get stolen. People have taken horses' rugs off them in the field. Um, And obviously with this weather, it's absolutely freezing. Uh, They'll take wheelbarrows, uh, hay, straw. They've even taken doors off people's stables. I mean, it's just got to the point now where nothing is safe anymore. Um, We did hear a rumour, and this is only a rumour, from an ex-police person who said basically if you can't get a prosecution don't bother which doesn't really help us a lot well we also spoke to sergeant jamie bartlett from hertfordshire police he specializes in rural crime here in hertfordshire police and i can only comment from hertfordshire police we do take uh, rural crime very seriously um and recently we've set up the rural operational support team which is a small team uh, of officers that support uh, local officers the safer neighborhood teams to make sure that rural crime is brought to the the agenda. It also covers wildlife crime, environmental crime and heritage crime to make sure that those areas which are normally more of a concern for people living in rural areas are being addressed and people fully understand um, the impact and how we can take things forward with partners. Well, around 1,400 people have joined the Facebook group Fight Against Rural Crime. I hope I don't have to say that word anymore. It, it turns out I can't say the word rural, Alma. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm rural. I'm all over the place. Alma Oakley, you're one of the people that's joined this Facebook group. I actually started the Facebook group. You started it. What, do, what yeah. do you hope to achieve with it? We hope to achieve a little bit more exposure to what's going on in within the rural community mm. um, and to try and... Um, show the government that we are a useful part of society. Uh, basically, if we didn't have the horses, there, it would be such a domino knock-on effect to a lot of other industries. And, you know, it's, it's a hobby. That is it. It is a hobby. And we deserve the protection as everybody else has. I, I live in the city, Alma. Why should I be bothered about what's happening over in the, in the countryside? Why, how does it affect me? Well, you know, it doesn't affect you, I suppose. Um, but what's your hobby? Uh, listening to... Uh, collecting records. Collecting records. Well, that doesn't affect me. What would happen if all records were, were taken off the oh, face don't, of the planet? Don't, don't talk to me like that, Alma, please. See? You're you scaring know? me. I, OK, Everybody I get it. Everyone has a passion. <laughs> Everyone has a passion. What is going on with your dogs in the background? Oh, it's my puppy, and she's trying to bite my feet. <laughs> and I am moving out the way, and um, unfortunately, I've got a box of puppy that thinks she's a lion. How old? 
um, 10 weeks. Oh, well, like a proper little one. Fantastic. I know, but she won't be reaching 11 weeks, I can tell you. Oh, blimey, there you go. I'm going to put her out the room. You, you, you country folk. <laughs> yeah. So you've got this Facebook group, 1,400 people have yeah, joined and so far. growing, and growing. I, is a Facebook group really going to achieve anything, Alma? Well, what this actually achieves is that somebody will see a suspect, um, a vehicle, a suspicious vehicle, yeah. and will then put on Facebook a vehicle, uh, a white van or a blue van or whatever colour van, I'm not going to be vanished here, no. um, has been seen cruising up and down. That will go on Facebook and everybody will watch out for this particular van right. and take number plates. If, uh, if uh, an attempted break-in has happened, then that will go on Facebook and everybody will be a little bit more vigilant. We, what, what the problem is, is that um, our crimes aren't really been investigated because really there's no leads are supposed to go on but that that's not good enough what sort of crimes are you talking about alma well as joe mentioned in her interview with you um things are taken i mean stupid things like doors off stables and then more serious things like whole tack rooms and horses we heard someone who had a, her ponies lifted over a fence yeah yeah, it happens. Fences get cut. If they if they want to take something, they will take it. Mm. Doesn't matter what we do. And the thing is, because they know they're not going to be caught and they're not going to be prosecuted, they just walk all over us. And you just had somebody talking about insurance. Yeah, our insurances are very high, and a lot of people do this hobby on a shoestring. Yeah. So insurance is a big part of our outlay. For do you our insure? Your, this may be a silly question. Do you insure your horses? Yes. How much do. does it cost to insure a horse? Oh, well, it, it depends on the value of the horse. Um, it costs me £109 a, uh, a month per horse. I th- uh, w- wow, I thought you were going to say a year. I was going to no. you can swallow that. £109 a month a ho- yeah. per horse? Yeah. How many horses have you got? Three. So, I mean, you have that because, you know, if your horse gets sick or if yeah. you get hit by a car, which happens. Oh, dear. Uh, public liability, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But you don't get the insurance back. You've, your stuff is taken, your tax taken. Uh, you go to the insurance company, you say, I have a £3,000 saddle taken, and they give you £1,000. Alma, listen, uh, thank you very much for that. That's Alma. Oh, very quickly, we should get, what is the Facebook page? Is people who want to go and have a look at it? It's called Farce, F-A-R-C. And can I just say one more thing, please? please um, we're going to invite um, Jeremy Bartlett to a meeting that we're having next Thursday. That's the, the sergeant from Hertfordshire Police. Yes. Yep. Um, so we're going to try and get hold of him today to invite him to our meeting. We're not, we're not against the police. We want the police to work with us. Um, their hands are tied by rules and regulations, as everybody is, and we understand that. Um, so we're not, we're not sort of uh, police bashing, as somebody has said. OK, Alma, listen, we're going to move on. Thank you very much for that. Let's know how that meeting goes. We've got a, a, a few tats, uh, tats, texts, before we move on. Uh, Lexi in St Albans says, I'm sure tattooists are skilled and very professional, but I'd be very uneasy about anyone wielding needles anywhere near my spine or vital veins. Uh, Esther says, I must admit, I do regret my two tattoos. Although they're pretty, a dragon and a unicorn, I had them done 20 years ago. They're at the top of my arms, which means if I wear a lovely evening dress, I have to wear sleeves. Um, uh, The B says, Ian, I'm loving you more every day. You're anti-tattoos and you love cats. Well, there you go. I just speak the truth, B. David Milton Keynes, I have one tattoo on my right arm. This was done 20 years ago. I'm now 45. I don't want another, but I love the tiger. Um, uh, and uh, Joe says, I can't believe you think tattoos are vile. They are artwork. I've got horseshoes tattooed on my arm to represent each of my horses. They are very personal to me. I've got Disney's Thumper the Rabbit on my shoulder. And yes, I will have a take that logo on my ankle when I pluck up the courage. Um, oh, it's Joe we spoke to earlier on <laughs> at the top of the show. I think you should play me a take that song. Not a chance, Joe. Not- 
not a chance. Morning, 8.46, Thursday the 11th of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. An increasing number of allegations are being made that Jimmy Savile targeted children in the course of his work as a volunteer at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. Almost 1,400 people have joined a Facebook campaign calling for the police to tackle a spate of country crime in Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire. In sport, Lance Armstrong's former teammate, Tyler Hamilton, has told BBC Sport how he saw Armstrong taking drugs multiple times as a US anti-doping agency report exposes what it calls a massive fraud. Your weather for beds, hearts and bucks. Cloudy and wet for much of the day, feeling mild with a top temperature of 15 degrees. And coming up, I hate them, tattoos. BBC Three Counties Radio. This morning we've been talking tattoos after I saw a mum in Luton yesterday in a terrible state. Oh, the tattoo, she, l- low cut, very low cut, wet look leggings, uh, crop top and a tramp stamp. It was horrible. I don't like them. I, I just don't, I think they're disgusting. Why do people get them? Well, Justin Dealey has been in Sandy uh, this morning. Morning, Justin. Ian, you're outraged again, aren't you? I, 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 it's one thing that really does annoy me. I think they're disgusting. And this mum yesterday, <laughs> I thought, what chances that kid got? Yes, yes. <laughs> Can't really say anything about that. I mean, agree, I, I you, to... you have to agree with me, don't you, Justin? You, you're, you're a sensible gentleman. I haven't got any tattoos at this moment in time. When I was younger, I I was tempted to get one. If I was ever to get a tattoo, it would certainly be a tattoo that that meant something to me. And we're talking about either, you know, somebody in my family, their name maybe, maybe even my football team. But certainly... Oh, for God's sake, you're better than that, (laughs) Dealey. I really thought you were better than that. No, sadly I'm not. But uh, as you mentioned, Ian, I, I'm, I'm in Sandy this morning. Yes. It's, um, it's a small market town in Bedfordshire. It's the home of the RSPB. Now, here along the high street, they have a butcher's, they have a sandwich shop, they have a bakery. This is a posh place to be. Gorgeous Agreed? place, Sandy. Gorgeous, yes. yes. Now, I didn't think I would find anybody with a tattoo here. Well, I was so wrong. They've all got tattoos. Take a listen to this. Dino, you've got two tattoos. Tell us what you've got. I've got uh, just me boys' names with Roman numerals, date of births. Oh. So, yeah, they're pretty special to me. Yeah. And that's well, all I've got. Without hitting me, um, do you think they're a bit tacky? Uh, yeah, but they're done in good taste, so they're, they're nice, nice design. I think they're all right, anyway. <laughs> I mean, well, what do you think about people who have really unusual tattoos? So they have celebrities tattooed on their body. I mean, is that normal? Is that normal behaviour? No, I think, I think they've got a problem, to be honest. I think uh, the celebrity should watch their back. Maybe stalker-esque or something like that. <laughs> and we've been told this morning that once you have one, it's quite addictive. You've got two. Any plans for any more? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I do, I do want more because the pain is quite a nice pain. For people that like pain. Hang on a second, quite a nice pain. Yeah, well, you do get people to like pain, and I like pain. <laughs> Hang on a second. It's a weird one, I can't, I can't put my finger on it, but I don't mind sitting in the chair and having a tattoo done. I don't know why. Well, if you like pain, you might inflict pain on me. <laughs> I'm out of here. Thanks very much indeed for your time. Ryan, you've got three tattoos. Talk us through your tattoos. Uh, I've got one on each arm, uh, my kids' names, and one on my arm, which is just a tribal tattoo. And two on the back of my neck with my date of birth for my kids. Right, so clearly they're special to you. Anybody who has a tattoo of Gary Barlow on their body, what's your thoughts about that? Again, without swearing. <laughs> uh, they've clearly lost the plot a bit. Yeah. But these tattoos for you are special. You've got no regrets whatsoever. No, no, definitely not. Apologies if we have young ears listening to this. I'm now with Claire, who has a tattoo on her left booby. I haven't seen that, but um, <laughs> you've told me you've got one there. Tell us what that tattoo is. It's a fairy. And why? 
it was something I wanted done at the time, and that was one of the nicest pictures I'd got. Now, you are married. Your partner, does he love this? He does indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I bet he does. Um, we're talking this morning about tattoos, maybe sending out the wrong message. Do you think tattoos send out the wrong message? Sometimes they can, depending on where they are and what they represent. As far as, yours, as, far as you're concerned, yours is private, and that's for you and your partner only. And if I want to show anybody else it... Yeah. I can. <laughs> is that an offer? <laughs> <laughs> if you wish. Well, I think we should leave it there for the time being. Claire, it's great to talk to you. Have a good day and send my best to your husband, by the way. I will. Thank you very much. Justin, I'll be with you in a second. I'm just mm. finishing this email. Dear Ofcom, <laughs> I heard Justin Dealey say the word <laughs> booby. There we go. That's I, I, that I, 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 was try- I was trying to be polite about it. It was the only way that I could explain what was going on with that situation. I have to say, I, I have been scarred off the, off the back of that conversation. But, <laughs> um, yes, uh, a fairy. Can yes, I just say? Right, listen, I've got two boys. I love them. I know when their birthdays are. I don't need to get them tattooed in Roman numerals on the back mm. of my neck or on my arm. Well, how, is that, how is that showing respect to your children? Well, you know, the, 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 the people, Ian, to be fair, and of course, being the BBC, we've got to be impartial. Uh, but uh, according to the people I've been talking to today, and in the past as well, they think that is a nice thing to Wowzers. do. They love, their, they love their children very, very much, yep. and they want something on their body which reminds them of their child, which is very, very special to them. Yeah, c- carry a photograph in your wallet, huh? Oh, oh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, Justin, listen, thank you very much. Thanks, Ian. Speak to you later on. Now, speaking uh, of uh, someone who also has tats on her tats, I think I phrased that as best as I can at this time of the morning. It's Isabel Varley. Good morning, Isabel. Good morning. Now, we've spoken to you before. You are the most tattooed senior citizen lady... That's right. ...in the world. Yes. And I've seen pictures... I've seen... I've seen pictures of me. I've seen pictures of bits of you I never wanted to see, love. (laughs) You've got tattoos everywhere. Yes, everywhere. And without using indoor language, when you got those tattoos down there, how much did that hurt? Uh, well, I started in 1986 yes. with two, yep. and then I went to somebody else, yeah. and I didn't like what he did, no. so then I went to another person, yes. and then they started on the top of my body. Yep. Well, they certainly worked down, didn't they? Down to my feet. Yep. And everywhere in between. Yeah. They're literally everywhere in between. Yeah. Do you know, Isabel, why do you get it done? Because some people would would look at you and think, she must be mental. Because you're completely covered. People, people come up. Yesterday, two people came up onto me and said that I've been on television. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, I'm sure you knew that, didn't you? Oh, they recognise you from the telly. Yes. And again, uh, listen, I don't want to go, go below the waist too much before nine o'clock. That's what, that's what Jonathan does in his show. But <laughs> you've got... How can I put this? You've got winkles on your head. <clears throat> you have? Why have you done that? Well, it was the tattooist did it, and I couldn't see what he was doing. You've got loads of them, though. I've seen the picture. There's loads of them. I know, I know, I know. All right, listen, uh, Isabel, you stay there for a second. We've got um, uh, Jean Brooksmith, who is an etiquette expert. Good morning, Jean. Morning to you. Tattoos. (laughs) What do you make of them? Very tacky. Yeah, yeah. I really do. Excuse me, I've got uh, throat problems, so my voice is a bit husky. No, it sounds great, Jean. That's very classy. (laughs) Thank you. Now, you know that... I was just listening to you talking to the people that put their boys' names on them. The worst thing, I think, is when women or men put their partner at the time's name. (laughs) How do you get rid of, I love Bill, when you're with David now? (laughs) Um, You know, my view still of tattoos is the very kind of rough 
builder on a building site, you know, with just one tattoo. But how people can get a tiny, small tattoo, I think, can look nice. But uh, it horrifies me. Gene, people would, say, people would say, though, that these tattoos, they're art. It's body art, and they're expressing themselves. But, look, this is fine when you're about 18. What happens when you get older and this body art starts drooping a bit? Well, let's find out. Isabel, how old are you? Oh, I'm old. Uh, over 60? Yes. Over 70? Yes. Over 80? No. Seven, 75, let's say, to be, um, to be polite. 74. 74. Uh, yeah. And your things, uh, I guess, are a little bit droopy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to be so delicate here, because I've only been here five weeks. I don't want to lose this job this quickly. Uh, do, do the tattoos still stand up? No, that's an inappropriate phrase. Do, does anything look different now that think gravity is working? No, no, they don't look any different. What do you say to Jean, Isabel, who says that the tattoo, tattoos, they're not classy? I like my tattoos, and if anybody else doesn't like them, tough luck. There we go, Jean, tough luck. You have well, to, it's you that has to look at it, though, Jean, isn't it? It's us that people yeah, that has to see know, that. I'm, I'm finding that uh, so many people now have got them. And, uh, you know, okay, David Beckham, fantastic footballer, but do we have to look at him looking like a mess with all these different patterns and things. Mm. I know he's got his children's names all over him, etc. I just, I just think it's gone too far and people now, it's become an addiction like the lady you're speaking to. Yeah. You start with one and then you get about a hundred. And really, people's views still, looking at people with lots of tattoos, they do still think it's it's weird, and as I said, it's rather tacky. Isabel, and you're you're weird, and you're addicted. Sorry. Yeah, hello. You're you're weird, and you're addicted. No, I'm not weird. I'm just a normal person, and I like my tattoos. And if other people, if she doesn't like them, well, tough luck. But Isabel, would you say it's an addiction? Because I I know people. You, you can't, no one can stop at one tattoo. Once they've had one, they get more I, and more and more. I got two when I started. Yeah, but your literally your whole body is covered with tattoos. Yes. Do, have you got any names of like lovers or or, or anything on there? Well, I've got, um, on my arm, I've got Herbert Hoffman. He's dead now. Okay. But he turned that on my wrist. Right. His name. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, Elizabeth, I, I don't know who Herbert Hoffman is. Maybe we should move on from that. Uh, but, but, Jean, you would agree with me that I, I, I don't want to see, I don't want to see low-cut tops, low-cut yeah. jeans with tattoos above the backside. I, I totally agree. And, in fact, you're not actually looking at the person. No. You're looking at the tattoos. Oh, sure. With, you know, with slight horror. And some of the, the, the tattoos, there's one in the newspaper this morning, mm. of this horrible devil-like um, creature yes. on somebody's arm. And I think they are quite frightening. And as I say, why not look at a nice person? The odd one, the odd delicate butterfly, if you like, I think can be okay. That works for you. Jean Brooksmith, etiquette expert. Thank you very much. Isabel Varley from Stevenage, the most tattooed senior citizen lady in the world. You wouldn't change your tats for a thing, would you? No. You love them. Good for you. Isabel, lovely to talk to you. Thank you for being a good sport. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. There we go. Fantastic. Just to end, we, uh, we're talking about life insurance and insurances you don't have. Uh, an email from M. Uh, my son took out life insurance just four months before he was killed. His widow received a lump sum and a pension for life, and the children still get a large sum each month. Well, there you go. 
I haven't got life insurance. Maybe I should look into it. I definitely need to sort a will out. Thank you very much for all of your calls and your texts and your emails. Excellent stuff. Back tomorrow at six o'clock. Do stick around there because uh, after nine o'clock, Jonathan Vernon Smith. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.